following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, this is Pepsi Mama, or Monica, and Victor, welcoming you to another season of Arts, the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, as an Ice Cream Sunday. And this year, we're this or this season, we're doing things a little bit different. Um, what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to do like different radio shows for different weeks. I'm, you know, I'm not just going to go in there and willy nilly and pick out a bunch of episodes. I'm going to do like. Uh, five or six episodes from uh, each show that I do. So y'all will have to let me know how you like that. And um, so this week we're going to do family theater. And I know most of you like family theater. And I know I do. Uh, The first show that we have... uh, for you, it's called Flight from Home, and it's about this man that he can't decide whether he wants to stay married or whether he wants to leave, and bless his heart, he drives his poor wife crazy because he'll come home, and then he'll up and leave, and then he'll come home, and he'll leave again. Well, finally, it, uh, you know how family theater is, it, it winds up good, he decides that he he doesn't want any, she, she finally decides to leave him and he decides that he doesn't want anybody but her. So, uh, he decides that he's going to stay forever. So, maybe that'll be the Valentine's show. Broadcasting System presents the Family Theater starring Loretta Young and Donna Michi with Jimmy Stewart as your host. things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Good evening. This is Jimmy Stewart. Tonight, the Family Theater stars Loretta Young and Donna Michi. You know, since this is our first program, maybe we ought to have a dedication. So right now, let's dedicate the Family Theater to your family with the hope that families everywhere will always be together and that your home will be a happy one with the conviction that prayer, simple prayer, will help to keep it that way. Now, uh, 
maybe you're thinking this is sort of an odd way to start a series of radio programs, programs from Hollywood with movie stars, actors, musicians. And maybe you're wondering what it's all about. Well, why don't you just sit back and listen? Listen to the music of Meredith Wilson's orchestra and, and listen to our story. It's called Flight from Home, a story written by True Boardman and starring Don Amici and Loretta Young. Yes, Nora. We're just leaving. We'll be there in less than half an hour to take you to the train. All right, I'm all ready. Still packing? Uh, no, no, as a matter of fact, I'm writing a letter. Oh. Uh, but I'll be ready when you get here. All right. Uh, goodbye, Nora. Dear Jim, I don't pretend even to myself that this letter can make any difference. What we said last night before you left was final and definite. I know that. Within an hour, Nora and Charlie are coming to drive me to the train that will take me home to Cleveland. Home. It's funny that after six years, I should suddenly be thinking again of Cleveland as home. But what was, does one do while one waits those last minutes before she says goodbye to a lifetime? I don't know. I only know I feel impelled to put it down in black and white. Perhaps then... The separate pieces will make some pattern that has sense and order. Perhaps seeing it like that will help me, and you, if you ever read this letter, to somehow understand it all. As I say, I don't know, but I have to try. I'm sitting now by the front window that faces over the river. The day is perfect, and you can see all the way to the hills across the valley. And as I look out now, one object holds my eyes and my thoughts. It's something you built for me, Jim, with your own hands and showed me so proudly the day we arrived here from our honeymoon. The day that was really the beginning. Okay, Mrs. Matthews, your mansion awaits. All out. Oh, Jim, this is the Star Island place. Oh, you don't tell me. Oh, but Jim, we agreed on that little house near the university, the place on Elm Street. That shack for the wife of a man who in two years will be head of the university research lab? Oh. Couldn't think of it. Oh. Come on. <laughs> but, darling, we, we agreed. We talked it all over and decided. And remember? I decided you should have a place worthy of you. Uh, Mary, wait. Before we go inside, there's something here in the garden you didn't see before. What is it? Come on. In here. Well? Oh, Jim. Oh, darling, it's... it's... You see, the house is already built and furnished, and I wanted a place to have... Something I made myself. Oh, just for you. Oh, darling. And what better for a girl I couldn't even get to see for the first three months I knew her unless I went to church four times a week. <laughs> you? I went to church to see you. <laughs> what do you mean? Your mother told me you practically lived down at that church before you ever saw Jim Matthews. Oh, Jim. If I didn't already love you more than any man deserves, this shrine you built for me would... Oh, Jim, I'm so happy I'm scared. Hey, hey, now, take it easy. <laughs> You know where I got the idea for the shrine? Uh-uh. That trip I took around the world. On an island in the Indies I visited. Each family has its own shrine outside the house. They do? Uh-huh. Guarantees every newly married couple, fair weather, good crops, and at least 14 children. 
Fourteen. Well, thirteen. Oh, all right. <laughs> Come on, let's go inside the house. Darling. Huh? Before we go in, could we... Could we dedicate our shrine? Oh, it has been. The moment it was finished. By a fellow I know. Oh. And what did this fellow say? Oh, he said something like, Thanks, Lord, for what I know is going to be a fine marriage. Thanks for Mary understanding about my work and taking the job at the lab here because it means more freedom and authority, even though I could earn more money for somewhere else. Thanks for this house. And above all, may it be blessed with children and may every one of them look like their mother. Oh. That was all. You have anything to add? Yes, just one thing. What? Thanks, dear Lord, for Jim. And help me to be the wife that he deserves. And if it be your will... Let there be children, all just like their father. Amen. All right, darling. Let's go inside. That was the beginning, Jim. Such a rich and warm and happiness-filled beginning that I forgot all about your overruling our agreement as to the house we buy. There was fun for us in those first months that so quickly became years. Such fun that, well, I wonder now how and when we first began to lose it. I only know that suddenly we were aware that there were two shadows across our life together. We had no child. And it began to seem we weren't ever going to have one. That was one shadow. And the other, well, you felt you'd receive no recognition at the lab for all the work that you'd done. And then, just before our fourth anniversary, there was a night when it all seemed perfect again. We were alone, and, and you were helping me in the kitchen. Gosh, two people can dirty an awful lot of dishes. <laughs> you don't have to help me with them, Jim. You're tired. Who's tired? I only played seven sets. Oh, excuse me. I forgot <laughs> I was married to the original Iron Man. <laughs> what do you think of the new man? Hmm? Well, I played singles with. Oh, Mr. Michaels? Hmm. Why, all right. Oh. He's the old man's new pet. Former student of his. So? So some people think the old man might decide to make him director of the research lab when Professor Kenny retires this fall. Oh, Jim, he couldn't. You've worked hard for that directorship. You deserve it. Don't worry. The old man knows that. In fact, he said something about it this afternoon. Oh. Looks good. Jim. Hmm? Jim, what would you do if Michaels did get that appointment over your uh, head? Nothing. Just blow the roof off the lab and the old man, that's all. Yeah, and I'd help you. <laughs> oh, um, uh, Jim, by the way, I, I went to see Dr. Peters this morning. Why? Oh, nothing important. Just to make sure whether or not we were going to have a baby. We are. Hand me the platter there. Here. Uh, where's this young Michaels from, Jim? Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. How soon? Uh, December, maybe, maybe January. You know, he's quite handsome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doc, say you're all right? Perfect. Swell. You know, it's funny. People make such a to-do over this baby business. In the movies, the girl always has moonlight, soft music when she tells her husband he's supposed to faint or something. <laughs> no. No, that's when he's born. Here, here's the platter and be careful. But take us. We're washing dishes. As a matter of fact, hmm. just conversation. Nobody excited, nobody nervous, nobody... Look out! <gasps> oh! Oh, Mary. Mary, darling. Jim, I'm so happy. 
Tim, this time it's really true. Oh, thank heaven, it's really true. Those months that followed, Jim, for those months I will always be grateful. Our life had purpose again, and it was beautiful and complete. And you were as proud as if you'd personally invented the idea of parenthood. And then that night, that one horrible, unforgettable night. Oh, my darling, if only that storm could have happened a week before or later or any time, but when it did... But it didn't, Jim. It happened then. At perhaps the most crucial moment of our lives. Yes, Dr. Peters, of course you're right. She shouldn't drive in this storm. Oh, I'm... Yeah, I'm positive she does. Yes, right here. Here, Mary, he wants to talk to you. All right. He's definitely sending another doctor. Oh, oh yes, all right. H- Hello, doctor. <laughs> Fine time I pick. Helpful Mary, that's me. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, of course I understand. You're right. Yes, of course it's safer in this storm. Oh, certainly, as long as you recommend him. But just so it makes it in time. <laughs> oh, no. No, I haven't been able to find Jim anywhere. And, doctor, I'm worried about him. He should have been home two hours ago. Now, Doctor, look, you know I'm not alone. I called Nora and she came right over. Now, now don't you worry about me. I'm going to be all right. <laughs> and don't forget, I bet you it's a girl. Now, you say it's a boy. It's still a boy, huh? <laughs> Nora, Dr. Peters said... Oh, Nora. Hold on, honey, hold on. That one was 18 minutes. Nora, the front door. Jim, is that you? Oh, Jim, I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Mary. Hi, Nora. Oh, darling, where have you been? I... Jim. Been? I've been celebrating. All by myself, all afternoon. I got some news for you. Michael's got that assignment as director of the lab. Pretty boy Michael's is now my new boss. Ray. Oh, Jim. Jim, Mary's needed you. The baby. What about you mean... Yes, Jim, yes. But I'm all right now that you're here. We call Dr. Peters, and, and he can't leave the hospital, so he's sending a doctor here. But he doesn't want me driving in, to the hospital in this store. Well, that's ridiculous. I... Of course you're going to the hospital this time, isn't there? Oh, I suppose so, but Dr. Peters... Jim, said... that's crazy. The doctor specifically... And I say to... she's going to the hospital. We'll have no home delivery with some doctor we don't know. You're having the best, Mary. You hear me? Jim Matthews' wife is having the best there is. No storm or anything else is going to prevent it, either. Jim. Jim, please slow down. I'm sure we'll get there in time. And I'm all right, dear. But please, take it easy. I know what I'm doing. Jim, are you sure I shouldn't drive? I can, you know. Don't be ridiculous. I'm terribly sorry about the appointment, dear. You, You should have had it. Jim, please slow down. Oh, be quiet, Mary. I had a few drinks, sure. What of it? Stop sounding as, as though I'm... Jim, look to... out! Doctor, Mary will be all right, Jim. But the child, I... I'm sorry. There was nothing I could do. I see. You should never have tried to drive in through that storm. You suppose I don't know that now? Doctor, what about... What about other children for us later? 
There are many children already born who need adoption, son. I'm sorry. You, uh, you'd better go into Mary. Mary? Jim. Mary? Jim. Jim, we lost our... Jim, our baby's dead. <laughs> Dr. Peters couldn't save him. You must know this. Except for the accident, you both would have been all right. Oh. Except for the accident. Oh, Jim. Jim, listen to me. I'll let you rest now. I'll leave you alone. Oh, no, Jim, don't do that. Jim, wait a minute. Listen, listen, listen. But you didn't wait and you didn't listen. Then, or in the many times in the weeks and months to come when I tried to talk to you about that night. I told you I forgave you, but you just smiled at me as though you heard, but you didn't believe me. So our marriage went on. But actually, it wasn't any marriage at all. We were two people who lived in a single house a thousand miles apart. We both changed, Jim. I'm afraid I grew a little bitter in my unhappiness, and you... Well... Other people, too, began to worry about you. There was a day Professor Ahrens came to see me from the university. The old man, as you always called him. And I assure you, Mrs. Matthews, I, I try never to interfere with the private lives of my staff members. But I'm worried about Jim. He goes on working, yes, but with uh, such an attitude. He was the best project man I had. That's why I kept him free, unhampered by staff responsibilities. But lately, well, I, I've tried to talk to him, and his only response is he'll resign if I'm not satisfied. I, now, I don't want that, Mrs. Matthews. I want Jim. But I want the old Jim, not a man who brings his mind to the laboratory and whose heart is left somewhere else. <laughs> Talk, Jim, when we saw each other, but we might as well have used different languages. And then I thought perhaps I'd found an answer. That afternoon, three months ago, I persuaded you to go with Nora and Charlie to the children's foundling home on the pretense that they were thinking of adopting a child. And when we came home that night, you were more yourself than I'd seen you in months. There was one child in particular had impressed you. Mary, did you notice that girl a little older than the others? Kid with uh, the turned up nose and long yellow hair? Why, yes, wasn't her name uh, Joan? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Any uh, chance of Nora and Charlie taking her? Uh, did you like her? Me? Uh-huh. Well, sure. How can you not like a kid in a spot like that? Well, I mean, did you like Joan particularly? Did you, Jim? So that's it. Yes, that's it. Nora and Charlie had no intention of adopting a kid. No, Jim, no, they didn't. But I... I thought about it and prayed about it for an awfully long time, and I, I honestly think that a child is the answer, Jim. Maybe our life is, is, well, as it is, because it's too shallow. Yeah, I thought of that, too. Oh, darling. Darling, do let us investigate. Let us talk to them at the home. Let's start to think about it seriously, huh? What's there to think about? If you want it that way, go ahead. Oh, Jim! <laughs> and the first thing we'll do is cut that kid's hair. Oh, oh, darling! <laughs> Three months leading up to yesterday, 
Three months of interviews with the adoption board and visits to the home, and fixing the den over for for room for Joan. Three months of planning. Three wonderful months of living again. And then yesterday, yesterday the finale to it all. Little Joan, happy and eager and frightened, all at the same time in her new home. And it's not that I'm exactly afraid, but I've just never slept in a room by myself. Anyway, not since I remember. Well, I understand, Joan. And until you get used to it, I'll come in here each night and lie down with you until you're asleep. How's that? You can tell me stories, huh? That'll be fine, Mother. <laughs> Should I call you Mother or Mary? Uh, whichever you wish. It'll just work out. You'll see. And what about... Jim? Oh, we'll talk to him about that, shall we? Where is he? You said we should expect him at three o'clock. It's almost five. Well, maybe his train's late. You know, he's been on a trip. Are you sure he'll be glad to see me? Oh, Joan. Jim and I talked you over for a long time. He'll be glad. Why did he take me instead of one of the teensy kids? Most folks who came to the home took the little babies. I'd about given up hope on a kind I'm so old. <laughs> Why, honey... Oh, honey, age has nothing to do with it. You were the little girl our home needed to make it complete. I'm sure glad. Mary. There he is. I'm in here, Jim, in the den. Mary, I, I wanted to... Hello, Mr. Matthews. I'm here. Mary, didn't you get my wire? Your wire? Oh, no, dear. The phone's been out. And you know how they are about deliveries now. Mary, I've got to talk to you. Jim, I... Mother... Do you want me to go outside for a little while? Uh, yes, honey, do you mind? We, we'll, be, we'll be out in a few minutes. All right. I'll stay where you can call me. All right, dear. What did the telegram say, Jim? Oh, you must have gotten it. And you went ahead anyway. No, no, I didn't. I went ahead. Oh, so you've changed your mind. No. I made it up. I had time to think during this trip. And I decided once and for all. I'm late now because I stopped at the lab. I've resigned. I'm leaving here, Mary. Here. It's a deed to the house and a power of attorney if you want to sell it before the final arrangements are worked out. I left most of the money in the joint account. Here's the book. You... You seem to have thought of everything. I'm sorry about little Joan. But perhaps you'll keep her yourself. Why, you know that isn't possible. They wouldn't let me. This adoption idea was crazy for us, and you know it. More is wrong with our marriage and not having a child in the house. What's wrong is wrong with me. Well, Jim, if you know that, why don't you do something about it? Your trouble is, Mary, that you're still in love with a dream. And it was a dream. I'm what I am now. So let me go. All right, Jim, all right, all right. Go on, run. Go on and keep on running for the rest of your life, from me and from your job and from yourself. Oh, Jim. Jim, if, if I could only make you see things the way... You think I don't? You want the whole truth, Mary? We've never faced that, have we? Well, we will now. Two years ago, I killed our baby. Jim, that's... Not... I killed our baby and... and made it certain that we'd never have another one. Oh. Try living with that in the back of your mind, Mary. Take it to work with you day after day. See it there in the eyes of your wife every time you look at her. That isn't true, Try Jim. lying in bed night after night, reliving that crash a thousand times. You there in the street and in the rain. Not even crying in your pain. Just saying over and over to me, it's all right, Jim. I'll be all right. And the baby will live. The baby didn't live. Oh, Jim. Jim, Jim, why can't it be simple? 
Why can't I just put my arms around you and say I love you, dear, and I'll always love you, and that'll be all the answer. But it isn't. Our only chance is for me to try to make you see it all as I do, Jim. No, Mary, I'm going to... Now, Jim, listen to me. Listen, please. Jim, what happened that night two years ago was an accident. A single accident for which no one is responsible. It won't do, Mary. We were on that road for one reason. The selfish pride of the man you call your husband. Pride that wouldn't let him have his child born here at home when he could be important by rushing you to the hospital. The same pride that even at the start of our marriage made me buy a bigger and better house than the one we'd agreed on together. The same pride that, that couldn't take the blow of Michael's being named director and sent me to a bar to get drunk when you needed me more than ever before and I liked it. Jim, if these things are true or, or if you feel they are, what answer is it now to run away? Why don't you face them, Jim, and accept them? Face them in honesty and humility and stop running away, darling. Oh, Jim. Jim, remember that poem you used to read to me? You, you said it was your favorite, The Hound of Heaven, remember? Remember it, Jim? I've let him down the nights and down the days. Remember? Jim. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth and ways of my own mind. And in a mist of tears, I hid from him. Why, you're that man, Jim. You're fleeing from your own faith. You're fleeing from your own forgiveness, Jim. Some things are beyond forgiveness. What things? Did our Lord ever say that? Oh, my darling, you know better if you'll just admit it to yourself. Oh, can't you see there is forgiveness if you'll just break through this wall you built and accept it, Jim? All right, darling. Go on now, if you must. But go on out and find yourself. Go out and walk and pray. Pray with all your heart, Jim. But darling, if you can do that, I know you'll get back to me and to our life together. It's no use, Mary. I tell you, it's no use. I... Jim! Jim! Oh, dear God, help him. Help him. And help me to live without him. If that's the way it's got to be. So it ended, Jim. You turned and walked out into the night, and it was over. There it is, the whole story. I said that putting in a letter might help me to understand, but it doesn't. I only know that I still love you as I shall never love another human being. And that when you went out of that door, a part of myself went with you. What's left, I don't care very much about. There's a car in the driveway, Jim, and that means that Nora and Charlie are here for me. So I must finish this quickly, Jim. And I... Oh, is that you, Nora? I'll be with you in a minute. I... I'm just finishing my letter. Nora? Hello, Mother. What? Joan. Joan, honey. Joan, how did you get here? I didn't run away and come back here, if that's what you mean. Somebody brought me. Somebody Who? He says he wants to talk to you. Please, outside. He says you know where. Yes, of course. Of course I do.
know, Jim. I got as far as the train last night. But I kept hearing those words. I started walking. I must have walked all night. But you were right. I fled him down the nights and down the days. And all of a sudden, there was no place I could go. Once the walls I built were down... Darling, welcome home. I am home, Mary. Oh. Really home. I know. I know, Jim. And, Jim, I'm going to help you all I can. And I'll need your help. Oh. I asked for my job back this morning as Michael's assistant. Oh. Oh, I know you won't be sorry. Jim, I know you won't. I see a lot of things I wouldn't face before. The work I can do is a lot more important than whatever title they want to give me. A child's dead. I can't change that. But there are lots of kids, like Joan, who could use the love we have to give. Oh, darling, you do see. Mother. Oh, oh yes, Joan. Come on in, honey. Oh, can I? I mean, may I? Of course you may. This is our family shrine, Joan. And after all, you're part of the family now. A very important part. Thank you, Loretta Young and Don Amici. You know, I thought maybe you folks would like to know why we call this program Family Theater. Well, I'll tell you. Because it's the most important thing in the world. Our most precious possession is our family. We all want our family to be happy, sure. But, well, sometimes going gets pretty tough. Sickness, bills, accidents, which make it almost too much for a man and his wife to handle. Do you, you ever feel that way? You know, you don't know where to turn for help. And because you're upset and worried, you get irritable and wango. The whole family seems to sort of fall apart. And you're positive there's nothing you can do to prevent it. But, but just stop and think a minute. Maybe you're, maybe you're overlooking something. Maybe there's a way you can get help. The most powerful help a man could ask for. But you've got to ask for it. And how do you ask for it? Well, you just pray. Yes, you... You ask Almighty God for his help. He wants you to pray. But you and your family will never know how much God can help you unless you ask. Deep down in your heart, you know he'll help you. Uh, before saying goodnight, I'm sure that Loretta Young and Donna Michi join me in expressing our pleasure in having had a part in dedicating this first program of the Family Theater. Thanks to everyone who helped make the Family Theater possible. And uh, you might be interested to know that Richard Sandville directed our play and Drew Boardman wrote it. Now, next week, our stars in the Family Theater will be Walter Brennan, Beulah Bondi, and an original story, No Night Too Dark, by Charles Taswell. All right, that's Jimmy Stewart saying good night. Good night, everybody. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
Okay, folks. Now, this second one is called Night, No Night Too Dark. And, um, it hosts, its host is William Gargan. And I don't remember too much about the episode. I, um. It stars Walter Brennan. Yeah, oh, it stars Walter Brennan. Now I, now I, now I kind of remember. Um, and if you like Walter Brennan as much as I did and still do, then um, you'll enjoy it. But you know how family theater is. They're all inspirational kind of things. So, um, oh, are they really? Yeah, they're all kind of, you know, they, they're kind of, they end up, they start out kind of sad and then they end up with, they usually end up good. Oh, kind of like, um, Kind of like the whole uh, It's a Wonderful Life thing. Yeah. A where it bit. starts off sad and then... Sad and then gets happy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This should be good. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Walter Brennan and Beulah Bondi, with William Gargan as your host. <laughs> More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Good evening. This is Bill Goggin. And before I say another word, I want to thank all of you on behalf of the Family Theater for your telegrams, letters, and phone calls, which we received after last week's program. As a matter of fact, so many of you called that the network switchboards here in Hollywood and all over the country were literally jammed. And many of you asked the same question. Who sponsors this program, the Family Theater? The answer is simple. Nobody. And everybody. The actual show is put together by a lot of us in pictures and radio who agree that the most important thing in the world is our family, my family and yours. We think that a happy family means a happy community. A happy community means a happy country. And happy countries, well, when you love your neighbor, you don't fight with him, do you? And so we offer this program its plays and players with a conviction that prayer, that's what I said, prayer, family prayer, will give us the faith and understanding which we all need to keep our families together. If you're listening to Family Theater tonight for the first time, and you're wondering how faith can help you, why not sit back and listen to Charles Taswell's story, No Night Too Dark, with Meredith Wilson's orchestra, and starring... Walter Brennan and Beulah Bondi with Jennifer Holt and Jean Reynolds. State Highway Number 10, broad and efficient, hurries through the heart of the Broad River Valley 
and is much too busy to bother with the village itself. There is a marker, however, which points down a wandering blacktop road, a marker which reads, Coldwater, two miles. Just under this marker is a hand-lettered sign which says, Jonathan Carter, two and one-tenth miles. Dry goods, notions, bargains of all kinds, and notary public. Travelers who follow this secondary road will find Jonathan in his favorite rocker on the porch of his store, his wise old eyes bestowing a kindly benediction on Broad River Valley and all its inhabitants, his cat Clementine perched on his shoulder, both of them purring in the warmth of the early spring sunshine. Yes, sir. There's not a doubt about it, Clementine. There's nothing the Lord likes better than a handicap. Now you take that tree yonder they sawed off last fall. It's putting out green shoots like a porcupine. And that crack in the new cement sidewalk. There's a dandelion pushing up through it to see what sort of spring weather we're being blessed with in cold water. Yes, sir, Clementine. The Lord sure does love and relish a downright discouraging handicap to show off his power and glory. Jonathan? Now, don't jaw at me, Sarah. I'm hurrying fast I can to the post office. That's where you told me you were going 20 minutes ago. Is that rocker as far as you've got? Yep. Got overtook by a thought and sat down to puzzle it out. Oh, stuff and pure nonsense. Fact, I got to wondering why you're twice as pretty now as when I paid off for our wedding 40 years ago. If you think you can get around me with a lot of soft soap... Sarah, now, Sarah. You know I never spoke a truer word in my life. You always were the prettiest... There are moments, Jonathan Carter, when you're purely exasperating. If you'd keep still till I can tell you what I came out here to say... Well, whatever it is I forgot, I'll mail, open, fix, empty, or tend to directly I get back from the post office, Sarah. That's a solemn promise. But you don't have to go to the post office. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Oh? Mrs. Skinner picked up the mail and left it at our back door. Oh. Neighborly woman, Mrs. Skinner. Must bathe in the milk of human kindness. Well, there wasn't much. Two bills, three advertisements, and a telegram. Who's dead? Nobody's dead. It's from that Mr. Calder. Oh. Well, let's see. Uh, That'd be Will Calder, take it. Lieutenant Calder. He was with the Marines. Yeah. Uh, uh, That Boston fellow that built the cabin out on the river to write books in. That's the one. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice boy. All us liked Will. First author I ever met that didn't wear his hair like a sheepdog. What'd he wire about? He's coming home Saturday. Can't get together a brass band to welcome him on that short notice. Now, don't you go making any fancy plans, Jonathan. All he wants is the cabin cleaned. And the telegram was to me. Hmm. I never know till now that you and him was that well acquainted. Why, that summer he was here, he was in to buy something nearly every day, don't you remember? Yeah. But I also recollect that was the summer I had Peggy Griffin working on my books. I planted her right by that counter of slow-moving items every time Calder came in. <laughs> Got rid of six egg beaters, two gallons of sheep dip, and the hog oil I never expected to sell. Mm, well, they made a real handsome couple. Mm-hmm. I spent a deal of time studying the matter over before I matched him up. Why, Jonathan Carter, you had nothing to do with it. Well, who got Peggy to read his book and tell him how wonderful it was? Who got him to take her swimming in that red bathing suit I ordered? C-O-D-598, dealer's discount, F-O-B. Oh, Peggy and that Calder fellow would have gotten together without your help. And you know something? I think they had a definite understanding before he left. Oh, I'm certain sure they did. 
She had the same happy cat-eat-the-cream grateful look that you had when I asked you to marry me. Why, Jonathan, I never did. Well, I'm unbelieving of your good fortune. Of all the tall stories, but I haven't the time or the inclination to argue nonsense. I'm running over to ask Mrs. Scuddy if she wants the job of cleaning. Yeah. If a customer shows up while I'm gone, see if you can stir yourself to wait on him. Yeah. And if Peggy Griffin comes in, restrain yourself just this once, Jonathan, and don't go asking questions. Won't open the mouth. Well, see that you don't. Just mind your own business and stay out of trouble till I get back. I won't talk to nobody but Clementine. No. Won't ask a question of any living soul. I give you my promise, Sarah. Peggy Griffin comes in here driving a team of six horses. She won't drag one single question past my lips. nothing I want to talk about, Jonathan. And if you don't mind, I'd like a bucket of, of carpet tacks. Uh, they're right yonder on the notion counter, Peggy. You can pick them out yourself. Thank you. You know, uh, I've always been terrible grateful to the Lord that he never afflicted me with even a small wart of curiosity in other folks' affairs. Which of the big-headed tacks, Jonathan? In the green box. Yes, sir. Somehow there's nothing in all creation that displeasures me as much as seeing a pretty girl all set to bust down for a good cry. Where do you keep the sink strainers? Next door to the flypaper there. You know, uh, I bet you can't guess who's coming back to cold water. That is one of the few bad bets you ever made, Jonathan. You're talking about Will Calder, aren't you? Oh, shucks. I thought I was going to surprise you. But I bet you don't know that he's... That he's coming back Saturday? Yes, I know that, too. Here, will you put these things in a bag for me, please? Surely. Uh, sent your telegram, did he? Nope. How much do I owe you? Twenty-eight cents. Wrote your letter? Nope. Can you change a five? I think you can. How'd you find out about Will? A telegram isn't very secret in a place as small as cold water. The whole village is talking about the one he sent Sarah. Thirty, fifty, one dollar, two, three, four, and five. Thank you. You know, it's powerful strange him not letting you know. I thought you and Will was... Uh... Oh, darn it, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I was just remarking... You have to keep on and on and on. But all I ever said was... <laughs> all right, I'm crying. Now I hope you're satisfied. Well... You're bound to do it one place or another. I came in for some tax and a six trader, and all I get is Will Calder, Will Calder, Will Calder. Here, have a handkerchief. Compliments to the store. Go ahead and cry all you like. Got plenty of pails and pans to bail out the place. You just minded your own business. Shucks. You're my business. So's Will Calder. So's everybody else in Coldwater. Got to live with them, don't I? I sure don't want my bed and board surrounded by a parcel of weeping willows. Come on now. Blow your nose and tell me why a writing fellow like Will Calder suddenly comes down with writer's cramp and can't send you even a postcard. Well, well, he did write for a while. Uh-huh. Three letters a week sometimes. Sure. Long letters. Yeah? Then, well, then he just stopped. Did you keep on writing to him? Yes. But you never got no answer back? No. That's powerful strange. I do think, well, there might be some other girl. Could be. Well, in that case... Only I don't think so. 
You don't, Jonathan. No, my guess is that the very same thing overtook Will as overtook a lot of other boys. What's that? Well, you see, when a fellow's a long way off somewhere, why, he feels he's clear out of touch with things and folks back home, and that when he gets back, he'll be so changed, he he can't never put on the harness of everyday living. Yes, but don't you think... I think Will stopped writing because he wanted to come back to Coldwater and find out how he fitted in. And until he found out for sure why he wanted you to feel free to do as you liked. Well, I'd like to think that. But it's just your idea, Jonathan. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Well, you can't build any plans on it. All right. I'm going to prove it ain't an idea, but a fact. How? There ain't nothing a man or fish will snap at quicker than a tasty morsel of bait. We're having a party. Oh, what? You and me and Sarah are giving a homecoming for Will come Saturday out oh, to his but, cabin. Oh, Jonathan. You'll be wearing your prettiest dress, and when Will Calder comes up the path and sees you standing there in the door, why, he won't be having a doubt in his mind. Why won't he? Because no man is so doggone ambidextrous he can hold a doubt in his mind, a girl in his arms, one at the same time. Shucks. You just leave it to me, Peggy. Come Saturday night, you're practically a married woman. <laughs> Jonathan, will you please get me some wood out back of the cabin? And leave those olives alone. Oh, I was just winnowing out the runty ones, Sarah. By the time Will gets here, there won't be any left. Shucks, kind of recollect that Will don't fancy stuffed ones anyhow. You don't recollect anything of the kind. If you go and get into just... Jonathan, if you love me, don't pick at that chocolate cake. Just brushing a fly off, Sarah. There are no flies this hour of the night. What time is it? Shouldn't Will's train be in by now? Sure. Heard it whistle for the station a half hour back. Well, then if he takes Zeb taxi, he ought to be along any minute. Uh, where's Peggy got to? She's out in front in the car, trying to find out where you put the spoons I gave you. Spoons? Yes, the spoons. Oh, oh, they're wrapped in some napkins under the hood. Well, why on earth did you put them there? Keep the carburetor from rattling. Oh, my stars. Yeah, I'll go get the wood for the stove. Sarah? Jonathan? Yes, Peggy? He's coming. I just heard the car turn in from the main road. You did? How's my hair all right? How do I look? Oh, perfectly beautiful. <laughs> You're as slick and pretty as a new red fire engine. Yeah, yeah, that Zeb's taxi, all right. I'd know that engine knock over a convention of woodpeckers. Do you think you'll like me? That's the craziest question I ever heard. Now, here's what we'll do. We'll close the door all but a crack so as we can see. Then, just as he comes up the walk, we'll throw it open and yell, Welcome home, Will! Quiet now. Zeb Stockton, not in front. I can't see Will. Can you? Now, just hold your horses. Listen, wasn't that a dog? Sure was. Will must have brought one home with him. Yes, there it is. It just jumped out of the taxi. Mm, big dog, too. Oh, he always did love dogs. He wrote me once about a pup that he'd picked up. Yeah, there's Will. See, he's just getting out Jonathan. of Jonathan. He's got a cane. And he's wearing dark glasses. Jonathan. Good Lord. Oh, oh no. Dear Lord, save us. The boy's blind. <laughs> It's me. Just where on earth have you been ever since supper? Oh, out and about. Uh, out and about doing what? Well, I uh, walked some and 
I thought some and talked just a mite. Talk to who? Well, let me see now. Uh, I guess it was Peggy Griffin. So you've been meddling again? Uh, just middling meddling. The girl feels powerful bad, Sarah. Well, I don't doubt that in the least. She went out to Will's cabin this afternoon. The door was locked and he wouldn't answer. Well, if he's still as stiff-necked as he was when he came to the cabin last evening, I think she'd be satisfied to just let him alone. Mm. That's easy to say, Sarah. The big trouble is she loves the boy. All right, maybe she loves him. But if Will doesn't want her... Shucks, he's crazy about her. Why, that was only his doggone pride talking so big and independent when he asked us to all take our leave and not come back. Now, listen, Jonathan. And if we'd stayed just five minutes more, why, he'd have busted down and bawled like a kid that's lost and scared. He told us just as plain sure as Sure he did, be. sure he did. But it ain't only his eyes that's blind, Sarah. Why, his whole mind and reason's locked up in the dark, too. All right, but there's nothing under the sun you can do about it, is there? Now, go on, change your shirt and get ready for church. Oh... I ain't going to church this evening. Now, Jonathan. Did all my praying this morning. But you promised me that you'd go. Hey, get some work to do. Concerning Peggy Griffin and Will Calder, I'll be bound. Mm, could be, and maybe. Oh, Jonathan, just this once. Won't you tend to your own business and leave some things to the Lord? Why, the Lord loves them that help themselves and, and others, Sarah. Oh, if you want to misquote the scripture. But... You go right along to church now. In the meantime, there's some business for the Lord and me out to Will Calder's cabin. Uh, evening, Will. Who is it? Carter. Oh. Out for a walk and... Found myself up this way. Yeah. Pretty night. Moon's as round and as yellow as a beehive. Sky's just buzzing with stars. Is it? Sure is. I wouldn't know. Mighty pretty night. Uh, mind if I set? Oh, uh, if you like. Thanks. Say, hear that fiddle? That's old Tim Peabody. Lives in a shack down by the creek. Yes, uh, good fishing there on a sultry day. You know, there's a granddaddy trying to... You might as well to... get down to brass tacks. Or horse collars or whatever you're dealing in, Jonathan. Why, uh, what do you mean, Will? You didn't walk up here to the cabin because it's a pretty night. And Peabody's playing his fiddle. There's a trout in the creek. Didn't I? You came up to talk about Peg Griffin. Well, well now. Huh. I'm glad you brought up her name. I always thought she might be a right good subject for conversation. You're wasting your time, Carter. Mm, tell me why. Because it's one thing you can't ever fix. Oh, feeling powerful sorry for yourself, ain't you? Now, that's my business. With a whole lifetime to play, you're retiring to the sidelines to say the game's called on account of darkness. I don't want one of your pep talks, Jonathan. Oh, you're going to prove to everybody you're the most miserable and unfortunate fella in the whole face of the earth. I told you last night to stay away and leave yeah, me alone. You're going to hide out to mope and mule so your friends will feel real sorry for you. That's not the reason, and you know yeah, it. You're going to make Peggy Griffin feel she's being plumb disloyal every time she goes out somewhere with another man. No. That's not the reason, and you know it as well as I do. All right. And give me a reason with some sense to it if you can. Sure, I can give you a reason. There's only one. I'm blind. Isn't that a big enough reason? 
Can't you realize what it is to be blind? To know you'll never be able to see again? I'm no earthly use to Peg Griffin, the world, or myself. I'm through. Finished for good. Now will you get out of here and leave me alone? Now, now. Easy, boy. Easy. And I haven't done this before. I want you to know that. Sure, sure. I didn't even when they told me what had happened to me. I know you didn't, Will. Did you come up here and hammer at me and talk about Peg? Sure, sure. I'm sorry. I... I guess you know I'm crazy about her. Yeah, I know that. But even you can see that I haven't the right to hold her to a promise we made before this thing happened to me. Well, maybe you don't realize how much she loves you. Well, maybe she does. But she's got to get over it. You're asking for a miracle, son. But don't you see? I'm living in a world different than she is. A dark world where things have no size or color. Only sound or taste or smell or feel. You think that matters? Well, of course it matters. Well, when you get a bit older, Will, you'll know that sight is only one of the things that help us along. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be able to see. One of the Lord's greatest blessings. But you know something? All the things I love and remember best... Ain't the things I've seen with my eyes. They're the things I've heard or tasted or or smelled or touched. That's all very easy to say, Mm. but... But it's true. Why, if my ears hear a few bars of an old song, I can bring back a whole wonderful day that I lived as a boy. I'm walking down a road again with a dog I love trotting at my heels. Yes, and although the years have dimmed the memory of my mother's face... If I smell the spicy perfume of petunias just at dusk, I can see her standing in a garden and smiling at me. Plain as plain and just as alive as you and me. Yeah, but Jonathan, I can't... Oh, yes, you can. I'm still young. I can't live on memories of the past. You don't have to. Why, you can see as well as me if you just try. You don't mean that, Jonathan. You're just trying to make me feel good. I said you can see as well as me. Why, I can close my eyes and tell you everything going on around this cabin. You can? Sure I can. There. You hear that scraping over yonder on the tree limb? Yeah. Now just had himself a field mouse, and now he's cleaning up his beak. You hear that squeaking? Squirrel's got him a home in that same tree and got woke up. There's... I think I hear a little noise at the corner of the porch. (laughs) Sure you do. That's a hoppy toad. Skinny and light from sleep in the winter. How can you tell? Taking long jumps. Long about July, he'll plop a lot harder. Yeah, and listen. Listen to that rustling over in the bushes? That's Mr. Weasel setting out to hunt his dinner. To... Do you think I could ever... You can do it right now. Now, come on. Listen and tell me what you see. Well... Well... You're smoking your pipe. I heard you scratch a match a moment ago. And now I smell tobacco. (laughs) You did right. The moon's a lot higher. It must be right overhead. Because that nigh bird started to call. Right again. You just crossed your legs. 
I heard the scrape of the cloth. And you've taken off your hat because I heard it drop on the porch. <laughs> you see how easy it is? Why, it isn't hard at all when you get on to it. <laughs> easy as eating plum jam. Listen. Isn't that someone walking up the road? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Didn't you hear that stone roll? Here, you see. Your eyes are sharper than mine. Now tell me. Is it a man or a, or a woman? Man, I think. No. No, it's a woman. All right. What color dress is she wearing? Well, I don't know, Jonathan. How can I tell? Well, uh, women folks always walk different in different colors. They do? How? Oh, girls in black dresses always walk slow and sedate. Now, red always makes them kind of flirt with the heels. Yellow? Well, a yellow dress is just like a spring dance. Now... What color would you say this one's wearing? She's wearing... She's wearing a yellow dress. Well, I don't know. It's a yellow dress, and it's Peg Griffin. Will? Hello, Peg. Hello. May I come and talk to you? Why, sure. Sure you can, Peg. I came up this afternoon, but... Well, you wouldn't let me in. Well, that doesn't matter now, does it? No. No, it doesn't matter at all. Peg. Yes, Will? What color dress are you wearing? What color? Yes, I'd like to know. Just to prove something. Why? Why, it's a yellow dress. A yellow dress? Did you hear that, Jonathan? She's wearing a yellow dress, just like I said. Sure it is. <laughs> Didn't I tell you that you can see as well as anyone? Now go ahead and kiss her. And if anyone tries to tell you you're blind, you tell him he's a two-faced liar. Jonathan? Oh, Jonathan. Yes, Sarah, I'm down here on the front porch letting Neptune out for a run before he goes to bed. Don't stay out too long. It's chilly. Oh, shucks. It's a wonderful night. Real spring-like. Oh. Well, land of mercy, will you look at that, Clementine? That bush I thought was through for good is sprouting up new again. No two ways about it, Clementine. There's nothing the Lord likes better than a handicap. Whether it's a lilac bush, an oak tree, or Will Calder, the Lord has a way of managing things. Why, Clementine, he's got a way of pushing a blade of grass plumb through concrete. Got a way of making a blind man see right smack beyond the stars. <laughs> Hungry, Clementine? <laughs> That's what you get for looking at the Milky Way. Makes you hungry, kind of, don't it, Clementine? <laughs> This is Bill Gargan again, expressing our thanks to Walter Brennan, Beulah Bundy, Jennifer Holt, and Gene Reynolds for such delightful performances. Thanks also to Charles Taswell for his script of No Night Too Dark. You know, some of you folks listening in, you're lucky. I mean, those of you who listened with your families. I wonder if you ever really stopped to think about what it means to have a family. 
If you love your family, and your family loves you, well, what more could a guy want? But I don't have to tell you, even though you do have a happy family life, there are times when you get a little worried, like maybe when one of the kids gets sick, very sick, and your whole family gets scared, so scared you, you don't know what to do, and you, you don't know where to turn. Well, look, have you a thought uh, about maybe saying a prayer and turning to God? No one can give you greater comfort. Yes, and no one can give you more help. Ask God to keep your family together. Ask him to keep it well and happy. You know, none of us is so self-sufficient that we can ignore God's help. None of us is so proud that we need hesitate to ask it. Just remember, you'll never know how much a prayer can do until you've said one. Ask, and ye shall receive. Doesn't that sound familiar? Before saying goodnight, I want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Richard Sandville for directing our play tonight. Next week, our stars in the family theater will be Bing Crosby, Irene Dunn, and Dana Andrews in another story by Charles Taswell entitled Jay Smith and Wife. Now this is Bill Goggin saying good night all. Next week, and in the weeks that follow, you will hear more of your favorite stars, such as Bing Crosby, Joseph Cotton, Maureen O'Hara, Gregory Peck, Lionel Barrymore, Susan Peters, Charles Bickford, Ruth Huzzy, and Pat O'Brien, in plays written especially for Family Theater by the nation's leading radio dramatists and directed by the most outstanding directors. This series of the Family Theater broadcasts is produced by Bob Longnecker and comes to you through the cooperation of the Mutual Network and the actors, writers, and directors of the radio and motion picture industries. This program is broadcast overseas to our armed forces through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. This next one, um, ladies and gents, is, uh, I enjoyed this one. It's called I Give You Maggie. And um, she was about this young girl, and she wanted to marry this guy, and he was kind of a ne'er-do-well, and his parents, her parents did not want her to marry him. But she ends up marrying him and it's just like her parents think she ends up broken hearted through the whole marriage and uh <laughs> wait she does but, yeah she ends up broken hearted because he you know like like the family tried to tell her he's there do well and uh so nothing ever you know like he, he, he go get this job and he wouldn't last at it and he'd make her promises and he always failed to keep them and you know just this kind of guy and then finally but, you know that that leads to an interesting question i mean 
the first question I have is, where the hell did Nair do well come from? Don't ask me. <laughs> and the second question is, wouldn't it be important that he tried as opposed to him succeeding? Well, uh, you know, it, you I guess that's a that's that's a question for Snap, isn't it? <laughs> you, yeah, and you know, you get the you get the idea that he's just not really interested in doing better, but he just kind of makes a stab at it once in a while to please her, and it never works out. And um, but at the end, when she's finally about to leave him, uh, he he gets better. Now, who knows how long that lasts. I think you're supposed to assume it lasted a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> if it did, it's done better than, than my marriages. Ain't none of them lasted a lifetime, but that's for another <laughs> subject. <laughs> that's for snap. <laughs> well, let's snap then. <laughs> Damn snap. snap. This is yeah. a family, this is a PG rated show. <laughs> well, I can snap my fingers and it'll still be P- PG rated. Very well said, yes. Hear that? Hear that? (laughs) I guess we should give everybody Maggie, huh? Uh, yeah, let's give everybody Maggie. This World (laughs) Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Margaret Sullivan and Van Heflin, with Donald Crisp as your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. This is Donald Crisp. Since I'm your host this evening, perhaps I ought to tell you what you to expect in the next half hour. I'd better begin by telling you that this program, Family Theatre, got its name because it's dedicated to your family. You know, the word family can mean a lot of things. It can mean bitterness and struggle, or it can mean love and companionship, and all the most wonderful things in the world. Now, all of us who are part of the Family Theatre and that includes so many of you who listen, well, we feel that prayer, family prayer, can make the difference between an unhappy and a happy home. We have a simple conviction. A family that prays together stays together. Well, now you know why we call this program the Family Theater. But that doesn't mean you can expect a lot of preaching. Far from it. Tonight you can expect some mighty fine entertainment. You'll hear an original story by Walter Newman with a splendid cast. So let's listen to the play, I Give You Maggie, starring Margaret Sullivan and Van Heflin. The scene of our play opens in New York City on an October afternoon in the living room of a penthouse overlooking Central Park, 
A party is being held in honor of a young novelist, Tom Paget. Two women, Mrs. Paget and Daphne Lewis, literary editor, are leaving the crowded room. There, that's better. Have you ever heard anything noisier than a literary cocktail party, Mrs. Paget? Well, this is the first I ever attended. Really? Here, you sit here on the couch and I'll take this armchair. Thank you. Cigarette? Oh, no, thank you, Miss... Oh, I'm sorry. Not at all. Daphne Lewis, oh, Mrs. Yes. Paget, Assistant literary editor of the Times. Yes, of course. I don't usually do this sort of thing, but we're so delighted with your husband's work that I thought it might make a rather good column for next Sunday if I interviewed you. The woman behind the author, you know, that sort of thing. I'm afraid it won't be very interesting. Oh, darling, of course it will. Though, frankly, it's not my personal dish of tea. Comfortable? Oh, yes. Ready? No, wait. Let me get a pencil out of my... There. Now, when did you and Tommy marry, Mrs. Paget? Maggie, sit down. You're pacing a groove right across the living room. Is my mouth on straight now? You look adorable. Relax. It's ten past eight, Maggie. Does he always keep you waiting like this? Oh, let her alone, Mama. Stop picking on her. Mona, you be quiet. Maggie, what your mother and I can't understand is... Why you haven't had him up to the house before? After all, you've known him, uh, how long? Uh, three months? Four months? I don't like for you to be going out with a young man we've never seen and don't know anything about. Well, he was supposed to have come here several times. Maggie, but something... is he serious? Oh, well, you'll see, Mama. What do you mean, I'll see? Maggie, there I... he is. I tell you, I don't like it, Bertha. Young girl ought to bring her boyfriends around so her parents can... <laughs> Tom, my father, my mother. Miss Bannon. How do you do? Mr. Bannon. Evening, Tom. Sister Nona. Nona. Hello. Harry. Oh, yeah, here, here, here. Sit, sit down, Tom, sit down. Uh, we have to go. Uh, well, he can sit down for a minute, can't he? Uh, go ahead, Tom, sit down. Yeah, now. Maggie, Maggie, te- <laughs> uh, Maggie tells us you've uh, knocked around a lot. Some. Well, that's uh, very interesting. Uh, what have you done, Tom? Nothing very much. Oh, you have, too. He's been all over and done everything. Well, it's fine. Fine. Go ahead. We'd like to hear. Well, I ran away from an orphanage about 12 years ago when I was 14. I was a road kid for three years. Uh, road kid? Yeah, it's young hobo. Rode the rods and boxcars all over this country in Canada. Slept under bridges, begged from door to door. <laughs> I've been jailed as bum 20 or 30 times. Hmm. And what else? Oh, not much of anything. Well, he was a car hand in Wyoming until he broke a leg bulldozing. Dozing, not then... dazing. Uh... Oh, dozing. And then he was a pearl diver and a beanery. That means dishwasher. And a lumberjack and a miner. And he did a hitch with the Marines and all like that. Hmm. Uh, what are you doing now? Just sitting here. <laughs> no, no, I, I oh, mean... Uh... Oh, well, I read a lot. That's how I met Maggie at the library. I guess she told you that, though. I'm trying to learn how to write. I think I'm going to be a writer. I suppose you've put aside a lot of money to keep you going until you begin to sell your stories. Mrs. Banner, I have a personal fortune of exactly four dollars. It's not, um, not very much, is it? No. In fact, after I take Maggie out for a walk tonight and buy her a soda, well, I'll have just about enough left for a marriage license in the morning. Maggie! Well, that's all right with you, though, isn't it, Maggie? I haven't made a mistake, have I? No, Tom... You haven't made a mistake. But what are you going to live on? Well, that 
That will be a problem. I make 35 a week. Oh, there now, you see, we can easily manage on that, Mrs. Banner. You're going to let her support now, you? Hold it, Bertha, hold it. Maggie, look, you're dead set on this. Dead set, Papa. Harry, you Bertha? can't... Now, look, you two. You hardly know each other. No matter how much you think you love each other, you can't live on love. So I offer this. Tom, if you'll come around to my office, I'll speak to the chief. And I'm sure we can slide you into one of the departments. Then, after a while, when you've saved a little money... Well, that's a very kind offer, Mr. Banner, but it would be just a waste of time for me. A waste of time to make a living for your wife? Well, it's a waste of time for a writer to do anything but write. Look, if you object to Maggie's working, why don't you give us some money? Give you? You call it a business investment, Papa. Maggie, you're not going to marry this... Well, we are going to be married, Mr. Banner, and I'd just start all of your thinking from that premise. Maggie. No, Papa. We're going to be married. Going against us, eh? Oh, no, not against you, Papa. Just in a different direction. If you marry this... this tramp, you can get out of this house tonight and stay out. Papa. No, I mean it. Give me your hand, Tom. I'm all... all shaky. Here, kid. Squeeze it, squeeze hard. You ready, Maggie? Ready, Tom. Now, when did you and Tommy marry, Mrs. Paget? July 17th, 1937. Uh-huh, I see. And how did it come about? Well, he just asked me, and I said yes. How unusual. <laughs> oh, don't mind me. So you married a budding genius. Was it difficult at first? How did you find it? Bitter? Sweet? Maggie? Yes? I'm finished for the day. Supper ready? Ready. It's been on the table for three hours. Where are you, kid? In the closet? No, here. In the kitchenette. You managed to disappear in a one-room apartment or something. <laughs> I'd... Oh, look, honey, I'm sorry about supper. You didn't wait for me, did you? Of course I waited for you. Well, you should have eaten. What's a cake and candles for? Is it my birthday? No, it's not your birthday. Oh, Tom, you've forgotten. Forgotten? Oh, no, 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 I didn't forget. Yes, you did. Our first anniversary, no, you forgot. I, I didn't forget, baby. Honestly, I've got a present for you. In my pocket. Now, wait just a second. Here, take it. What is it? No, it's a poem. You can read it. Can you read my writing? For Maggie on our first wedding anniversary. Now, go ahead, read it. If I could write the beauty of your eyes... And in fresh numbers, number all your graces. The age to come would say this port lies. Such heavenly touches, near touched earthly faces. You like it? Like it. Oh, Tom, it's beautiful. It's better than Shakespeare. It is Shakespeare. No. I didn't have time to compose one, so I just copied it. <laughs> it says what I mean, anyway. It's the nicest present I ever had. Well, then, give me a kiss. Oh, Maggie, you're a kissable wench. I think I'll renew my option on you for another year. Oh, Tom, I'm so happy. Yeah, me too, baby. You know, I turned out about ten pages today, and that you remember that character I told you about last night, Jonesy? Well, he's really beginning to come alive. You know, each week it gets better and better. Do you realize we'll be on our vacation this time next week? Our first vacation together? One week of it. One week of no subway and no office, no ironing, no dishes. Oh, Maggie, look, I'm we meant to tell you... We simply toss our $40 uh, into the hotel owner's lap. 
In return, he gives us seven days of paradise. Well, there's no $40 anymore. Of... What? Well, we, we don't have $40. We only have 12 But we... I don't understand. Well, uh, after you left for the office this morning, I uh, broke the typewriter, and the man at the shop said it had cost $18 to fix. It'd take about 10 days, and I rented the typewriter I'm using now for a buck a day. 18 plus 10 equals 28, 28 from 40 at least. No, no vacation. No vacation? No. Well, couldn't you have used a pencil? Oh, Maggie, now don't. No. Oh, don't, please. <laughs> Maggie, listen. Uh, look, someday, pretty soon, maybe I'll finish the book and we'll sell it for a barrel of money and then we'll head for the beach at Acapulco or even Rio and, and we'll, we'll stay now just seven days, but seven months or as long as you like and then when we come back... Oh, Maggie, now don't cry, please. Come on, now, here. Blow. I know you've looked forward to this vacation. I, I know how it is. Maggie, uh, hey, look. Now, look, when that Pulitzer Prize Committee rewards me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to propose this toast. Ladies and gentlemen, in accepting this award for literature, I do not accept it for myself, but for the person who really deserves all the credit accruing to my book. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Maggie. publishing house for you. What? What does it say? Hurry. Wait a minute. It says, uh... Oh, look, here, you, you read it. Look, I'm, I'm too nervous. I couldn't... Your Enchanted Hill huh? was one of the most unusual novels we've ever read. Tom! Well, go on, go on, Maggie. Frankly, we consider it too advanced for present taste. And so on, and so on. And so on. I'm going for a walk. Now, look, I'm all right, baby, honest. I just I just feel like walking, so... They're idiots. It doesn't mean a thing. Yeah. Well, I'll see you soon. Please, Tom, let me go with you. Please, Tom. Maggie. Maggie, where are you? In here, fixing the light cord. Guess what? What? What is it? Can anybody hear us? No, what is it? Don't tease me. I was walking down the block just now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, down at my feet, I saw... What? What? This, this. A dollar bill. You found it? That's wonderful. I bet you were beginning to think I never would be a breadwinner. Well, Mrs. Padgett, instead of walking around the park this afternoon, as we do every Sunday, we're going to observe the rites of spring. With a dollar? I'm afraid you lack creative vision. When I look at this dollar, do you know what I see? George Washington's picture. I see two round trips to Coney Island, 20 cents. Two bock beers, 20 cents. Two hot dogs, widow without mustard, 20 cents. And two rides on the merry-go-round, 20 cents. That's only 80 cents. What about the other 20? Philanthropy. The other 20 cents goes back to the sidewalk for the appeasement of tastes far less luxurious than ours. <laughs> Madam, grab your hat and let us away. Was it difficult at first? How did you find it? Bitter? Sweet? Oh, a little of both, I guess. Yes, a little of both. <laughs> My leading questions don't seem to lead anywhere, do they? Never mind. And all this while, Tommy just kept plugging away at his writing? Yes, that's right. Except for one period. Except for one period. When was that? Doctor, I'd like to know the truth. 
Mrs. Paget, I'll give it to you straight from the shoulder if you think you can take it. I can take it? Tuberculosis. Now, wait. We've caught it in time, I think. I know definitely after studying the x-rays, but I think we've caught it in time. And Mrs. Paget, what was your husband's daily routine? Well, he was up at 5.30 every morning, no matter what time we went to bed. Mm-hmm. He was at his desk by 6. He worked straight through until 8, 9 o'clock at night, sometimes later. How about his diet? Well, coffee for breakfast, no lunch. As large as suppers I could make him take. Uh-huh. And this has been going on for how long? Ever since we were married, three years. Uh-huh. Well, Mrs. Paget, your husband will have to go away for a while. How long? Two or three years, maybe longer. May I go in to see him, Doctor? Well, he's sleeping. I just want to look at him. All right. Don't let him talk too much if he wakes up. Is that you, Ked? Shh. You're not to talk. The doc tell you? Yes. Well, we've been hit a pretty low blow. I know. Yeah, he wants me to go to Arizona. Listen, baby. Get a divorce. No, I mean it. I'm being objective, not noble. We've had the top of the bottle. Don't tie yourself to me. Stop this nonsense, Tom. Stop it at once. No, listen. Don't don't let sentimentality trip you up. That's where most people go wrong. You have to be hard and a little bit ruthless. If I'd let sentimentality get in my way, I'd have taken a job instead of writing. I'm not listening. Well, you've got to listen, Maggie. I know you're thinking that I'll be alone in a sanitarium or something. But, kid, look, I've been alone most of my life, and I'm used to it. I never expected anything else. The times we've had together, well, that, that's just been so much gravy for me. I, I never... It's been expected... gravy for you, has it? Well, what about me? You're used to being alone. Do you think... Do you think for one minute I could live without you? I couldn't. I'd die. Powers of darkness. Nameless fears. <laughs> I give you Maggie. And besides, that was a very hammy renunciation scene. For one period. When was that? During the war, he was ill. Tuberculosis. Was he in a sanitarium? Yes, in Tucson, Arizona. And you? Oh, I got a job at an army air base near him. I was allowed to see him twice a month. One of the officers used to drive me to town. Was this officer a friend? Well, Maggie... The last time I'll be driving you to Tucson. Spence, shipping out? Uh-huh. My squadron leaves tomorrow. Oh, Spence. Uh, there's something I want to say to you. No. Don't look at me. Look straight ahead. Maggie, I've been wondering if you know I'm in love with you. Very much in love with you. Don't, Spence. Can't help it. I'm not the suffer in silence type. Spence, I think I've been in love with you ever since I reported for duty here and first saw you in the colonel's office. Maggie, I'm going to make it short. I want you to get a divorce and marry me. We can be married by proxy no matter where they send me, and I'll be back someday. No, Spence. Face facts. They're brutal, but they must be faced. Your husband is an invalid. He's been in the sanitarium how long? Two years? Three? He may be there ten more, and where does that leave you? You see him only twice a month. You can't even kiss him. No, Spence. Sure? Sure. Well, that's not then. That's all the ammo on my clip. You know something? Sick as your husband is, and healthy as I am, if I could change places with him, I'd do it in a second. 
And I think I got them the best of the bargain. Was this officer a friend? Oh, yes, a good friend. How long was Tommy ill? Almost four years. When did he meet Felice Harrow? Oh, that was after we came back. That was a lucky break, wasn't it? Maggie Felice was wonderful. She thought the book was the best she'd ever read by a modern writer, and she's willing to devote all of her time to getting it published. Maggie, she's, she's just the sort of a literary agent I've been dreaming about. Really? What's she like? Felice, oh, I don't know. She's in her late 20s, I'd say. Smart as a whip. There lots of style. You know. Pretty? Oh, yes, sure, enormously so. Maggie, I feel tremendously set up about this whole thing. Oh, I almost forgot, I'm, I'm going to have dinner at her place. We're going to talk over some rewrites. Oh, yeah. so? Well, now, mind you, I don't agree with all of them, but she's right about two or three of them. She's a smart girl. Look, uh, pick out a tie for me, will you, huh, baby? I'll wait up for you. I want to hear all about it. No, you better not. I may be pretty late, and you know how I can talk when I have a new audience. I'm going to take a shower and a shave. Hey, hey, look, do we have any money? I have a five-dollar bill. Oh, that's well. We'll put it in my trousers. Hey, shall I take her some candy? That might be nice. Yeah. Well, look, if she calls, we'll tell her I'll be there in no time. Not to worry about it, huh? Yes, That was a lucky break, wasn't it? Yes, for both of them. Very attractive, isn't she? Yes, very. I think personal appearance is so important, don't you? awful. I do. Awful. Well, you used to be such a pretty girl, too. You ought to be spanked for letting yourself run to seed like this. Oh, Nona, have I run to seed? Well, I don't mean you're hobbling around in slippers and an old wrapper, but, well, you ought to look more chic. Look at the lines in your face. How old are you now? 31? Do you know how old you look? No, how old? 31. That's disgraceful. Well, you should look at least five years younger than 31, and at 41, you should... All right, all right, you've made your point. Where's Tom this evening? With Felice, I think. He's seeing a lot of her, isn't he? Why shouldn't he? She's his agent. Of course. Any news on the book? No, not yet, but Felice keeps trying. I'll bet she does at that. I think personal appearance is so important, don't you? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Did they accept the book for publication as soon as they read it? No, the Colonial Press was a new outfit. They didn't have enough money. That must have been a trying time. It was. We had to raise $2,500. Did you borrow from friends? So no one says for you to go right in, Mrs. Paget. Thank you. Maggie. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Spence. Maggie, I'm... <laughs> Why didn't you write? Oh, I kept in touch with you through the newspapers. Captain Nolan on this island, Major Nolan on that one. I kept in touch. Did you really? Maggie, are you, uh, is Tom... Completely cured. I see. And you and he are still... Still married. And in love? And uh, in love? Spence, look. I think Tom wants out. He hasn't said anything, but... Well, he's going to be a famous man, Spence, and I don't seem to fit into his life anymore. You know that line about successful writers and the women they happened to marry when they were young? Who is she, Maggie? Felice Harrell, Tom's agent. She's young and smart and literary, just as Tom is, and... 
I'm sorry I didn't come here to let my heart out. I came to ask you for $2,500. $2,500? Yes, look, Spence, Felice can get Tom's book published if he can put up that amount. He's worked so hard for so long. It's a wonderful Shifting book sands. and he deserves to be... What? Shifting sands. I've been aware of it ever since I got back into civilian life. Everyone changes. Nothing's the same as when you last saw it. $2,500? All right. I'll give you $2,500 on one condition. That you divorce Tom and marry me. Divorce? Now, don't stop to think. Quick, what do you say? No. Oh, I knew it. Did I say everyone changes? No, I take it back. Everyone except Maggie. Still the fighter, eh, Maggie? Spence. You want to know something? If you said yes, you'd come no closer to 2,500 of my dollars than any other stranger. But you're no stranger, are you? Still the Maggie I remembered. Wobbly on your feet. Still punching her. Spence, you... Yeah? I'm the guy who's delighted to find one constant in a world of change. Maggie... I love you more than ever. May I give you a kiss? <laughs> well, that's the best offer I've had today. Did you borrow from friends? Something like that. And so the book was published and the rest is history. Yes, that's right. Well, I guess that's about all. Didn't hurt, did it? Well, I told you it wouldn't be very interesting. Almost everything concerning a Pulitzer Prize winner is interesting. It'll make a paragraph anyway. I'm terribly glad for Tommy and Felice. There aren't two nicer people in the literary game. Tommy's so good-looking. Mrs. Paget, may I say something? Yes. Well, if I were you and had a husband as attractive as Tommy... Oh, never mind. It's none of my business. Shall we go back to the party? I'd like to stay here for a moment, if you don't mind. I want to fix my hair. See you soon. You used to be such a pretty girl. Felice is wonderful, smart as a whip. That's his style. How old are you now? Thirty-one. You used to be such a pretty girl. I'm having dinner with Felice. Don't wait up for me. You used to be such a pretty girl. You mustn't let sentiment tell you. You can't be up. That's what people go wrong. You have to be hard. You used to be such a pretty girl. Maggie. Hey, what is it, baby? What's happened? I was just looking in the mirror. And I found a gray hair. Oh, Tom. Tom, I'm not young and pretty anymore. I'm not, am I, Tom? No, Maggie. You're not pretty anymore. Merely beautiful. No. Your face is beginning to line. There's a line between your eyebrows. It wasn't there when we first got married. There's one I saw form when my first book was rejected. Here's another that was etched in while I was sick. Oh, there's several lines, to say nothing of that one gray hair. <laughs> Maggie, you imbecile. I didn't marry you because you were pretty. There are thousands and thousands of pretty girls. You see them in the ads or gallivanting about in movies. Chorus lines and colleges are filled with them. Felice is a pretty girl. But you're beautiful. All the loveliness I saw deep down inside of you when we first met is pushing its way out. I say you're beautiful. Maybe I'm prejudiced, but you see, I, I happen to be in love with you. There now. Come on, blow. Now take my hand. Squeeze it. Squeeze hard, kid. You ready, Maggie? Ready, Tom.
This is Donald Crisp speaking again, and thanking Van Heflin and Margaret Sullivan for such delightful performances. You know, if we could all have one wish, and that wish could be granted, I wonder what we would wish for. Happiness, probably. Of course, you'll always find people who say that it's pretty hard nowadays to have a happy family. It must be hard. Look at all the divorces. And it's pretty hard to bring up boys and girls we can be proud of. Look at all the cases of delinquency. No argument. Certainly it's hard to maintain a happy family. Certainly it's hard to bring up children properly. As a matter of fact, the job's apt to be too hard for even the best of parents. But you don't have to do it alone. You can get help. The most powerful help a man can ask for. But remember, you've got to ask for it. Ask and ye shall receive. Yes, ask God for his help. Pray. Pray with your children that God will help your family. You are never so unimportant that God won't listen and help you. Don't forget this. A family that prays together stays together. You'll never know how much prayer will do until you say one. Why not say one tonight? Before saying goodnight, I want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Fred Mackay for directing our play tonight. To our producer, Bob Longnecker. Next week, our stars on the Family Theatre will be Robert Young, Roddy McDowell, and J. Carroll Nash. This is Donald Crisp saying, goodnight all. This series of the Family Theater is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program, by the mutual network which has responded to this need, and by the actors and technicians in the motion picture and radio industries who have volunteered their services to fulfill it. This program is heard overseas through the facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Okay, guys, this next one, um, it stars one of my favorite people. And, uh, well, it's actually hosted by one of my favorite people. It, it's uh, J. Carol Nash is in it. And if you, if you... Remember, or if you like Life with Luigi, then you'll know who I'm talking about. And uh, so, um, but this one is called Let Us Remember, and it takes place, I think, around World War II. And um, Robert Young is the host of it. Good old Marcus Welby and and uh, um, Jim Anderson and Father Knows Best. And... If you want to, grab your Sundays and eat it. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Claude Jarman, Jr. and J. Carol Nash, with Robert Young 
as your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. This is Robert Young. I hope that by now, listening to family theaters become a habit with you. It ought to be because family theater is your program, you know, dedicated to your family. The idea for this program came from among you in the radio audience. You asked that we, the performers of pictures and radio, and the technical people, get together and bring you, the family theater, to acknowledge all the fundamental things we deeply believe in. We believe as you do that a happy family is just about the greatest thing a man could wish for. And we sincerely believe that prayer, family prayer, prayers asking God for his help, and prayers acknowledging that help, will keep our families together and happy. Tonight's play on family theater is a story of a typical American family named Jones, and a very unusual experience which happened to their young son, Bill. But wait a minute, rather than my telling you, why not listen to our original story by D.H. Johnson, entitled, Let Us Remember, featuring that young star of the yearling, Claude Jarman, Jr., and J. Carol Nash. It's been said that the sad thing about being young is that you're never old enough to appreciate it. Take young Bill Jones, for example. He has the youth for which many of us would trade all our possessions. He has good health, a good brain, and judging by the house on whose back steps he is now unhappily sitting, a good home. And yet to his pal Skinny, Bill is saying, Gee, I wish I was an old man. I wish I was real elderly. I wish I was 35 or 40 even. Yeah? What would you do? Nothing. I'd have already done it. Done what? Made my money. Oh. Yeah, then I wouldn't need to worry like I'm doing now about where am I going to get a dollar. Gee, one little dollar. And if I don't get it, I'm sunk. You still beating your gums about that? Gee whiz, Skinny, who wouldn't? You know what I promised, don't you? A guy can't go back on his promise, can he? It's been done. Not by me. I told the guys I'd meet him at the drugstore at noon Saturday and I'd have a dollar to buy him all sodas. And I've got to be there at noon. Well, it's 11 now. Don't I know it? Where are you going to get a dollar? That's you. Always bringing up a fresh subject. Say, you haven't got a dollar, have you? Hey, I know. Maybe your sister could let you have it. You asked Julie. I did. You mean she would... Yeah, she tried to borrow a dollar from me. Well, that's girls for you. They got no idea of the value of money. Oh, hey, I got it. Your dad's home today, ain't he? No use asking him, Skinny. Why not? Your dad's a swell guy. Not this morning. Huh? He's in the den, working on his income tax. Oh. I don't know what gets into people when they're working on their income tax. You say the slightest word, and they're liable to blow their top. Oh, it's just the money. You know how old people worry about money. Yeah, what good does worry do? Gee, I wish I had a dollar. 
Well, look, Bill, go on. Ask your dad anyway. If you use the right approach, it's a cinch. Approach? Why, sure. Sneak up on them. Let them see what a swell son you are. Then you're in. That's the way you get money from your dad? Well, it don't work for me. My dad knows me. But with you, it's a pushover. Okay, Skinny. I'll try. You wait here. Happy landings. Gee, I can taste that soda already. Twenty-one and seven is twenty-eight. Thirty-six, forty-three, and eleven is fifty-four. Hi there, Dad. Oh, now I've got to do that whole column over again. What's doing, Dad? Adding up something? Yeah. Your perception is amazing, William. Gee, thanks. Uh, look, son, I'm uh, I'm sort of busy. Is this uh, just a social call, or do you want something? Uh, that's funny. Funny? I was just going to ask you if you wanted something. I mean, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, yes, son. Uh, you can go back outdoors. Maybe you'd like me to add up some figures for you. I'm plenty solid on figures. Oh, that's strange. I've been getting just the opposite impression from your arithmetic grades. Oh, arithmetic. That hairy stuff after that gunk, your income tax is nothing. Oh, I wish you were right. Come on, Dad. Let me help. Ah, uh, no thanks, son. Anyway, I've got the income tax done. What I'm working on now is the family budget. You mean what Mother calls a fuss budget? <laughs> She's right, too. One or the other of us is always fussing with it. Well, right now, I'm trying to squeeze out a few extra dollars for charity. Gosh, you get plenty of charity already, don't you, Dad? Well, we try to, son. Your mother and I believe in doing unto others as we'd have them do to us. But uh, right now, we're trying to do a little more than usual. Something new coming up? No, it's nothing new. It's been going on for a long time, son. Ever since the war started, in fact... It isn't over yet. What do you mean? Well, you see the papers. You must have read something about the hunger situation in the other half of the world. Oh, yeah, there? Mm-hmm. That's, that's why we're scraping up all we can for the relief campaigns that are going on right now. There are still too many people praying, give us this day our daily bread, and putting a real plea into every syllable. Yeah, it must be pretty rugged, all right. Uh, uh look, son, why don't you go outside and play? Well, uh, listen, Dad, I really did come in because I wanted something. Yes, I, I suspected that. Look, you don't want the guys to be calling me a Nicky, do you? Well, whatever that means, I imagine I don't. Okay, then. You've got to help me, Dad. I'm really in a spot. So? What's a foot? A foot? Oh, to use the classical phrase, what gives? Well, oh, well, you see, I was coming home from school yesterday, and something... Well, something kind of hit me. Uh, not hard, I hope. I mean, kind of an idea. You know what I mean. So I said to a bunch of the kids, I said, meet me at the drugstore Saturday noon. I'll buy you all sodas. I'll have a dollar. Well, is that all? Well, I... All except one thing, Dad. I... I haven't got the dollar. Hmm. Look, son, uh, you got your allowance at the beginning of the week, you know. Yeah, but that was the beginning of the week. Things are high these days. Money doesn't go as far as it used to. You know, I've heard rumors about that myself. How's about it, Dad? Can I have it, huh? Can I? Please? Well, I'll tell you, son. I, uh... Excuse me, George. May we come in a minute? Why, of course, Mother. William and I aren't doing anything important. Not important. I wanted you to see Julie's first formal. Just got it finished. Come in, dear. Oh, isn't it wonderful, Dad? Isn't it just absolutely beautiful? Mm-hmm. Look at that. Hey, sis, that's terrific. You made that all yourself, Mother? Mm-hmm. Every single stitch. 
Well, it didn't come out quite right around now, here. Now, now, but... now, wait a minute. Don't start picking flaws. Why, I'd have sworn it came out of the best store on Fifth Avenue. Oh. It's beautiful. Of course, you got to give a little credit to who's got it on. <laughs> well, what do you know about that? A compliment from my own brother. Oh, skip it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> Don't let him fool you, Julie. We both think you're lovely. In fact, <laughs> if I'd only met you first, I'd probably have married you instead of your mother. <laughs> oh, oh my George. What a thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, come, dear. We mustn't keep your father from his work. And you too, William. George, has he been bothering you about that dollary one? Uh, yes, yes. He mentioned it, Mother. I, I've made up my mind on the matter. Good. I hope you'll be very firm. Come, Julie. I want to take a little tuck in that peplum. A tuck in the peplum? Gee, what's that? <laughs> well, that? That's woman talk, William. We don't always understand them, and, and they don't always understand us. Uh, here. Here's something for you. A dollar? Gee whiz, Dad. Thanks a million. <laughs> I got it, Skinny. Look. Oh, boy. A whole buck. Get that soda fountain ready. Here I come. I'll be coming around the fountain when I come. Let's go this I'll way. be we'll coming around the fountain the when I come. I'll be coming around the fountain with a soda like a mountain. I'll be coming around the fountain. <laughs> Oh, come on. I relax. I'm coming. What are you hanging behind for? I thought you wanted a soda. Well, sure I do. But look, suppose we got kind of tired walking through the park here. Huh? Tired? Yeah, suppose we had to sit down on a bench and rest. Yeah? Then what? Well, okay, so we're a little late getting to the drugstore. Now, the rest of the guys give up and go home. And when we get there... Hey, wait! We got the whole buck to spend on ourselves. Now listen, Skinny. But think what we could do with the whole buck. Not just sodas, but banana splits. I'm not interested. Not interested in a banana split? Hey, maybe you never had a banana split the way they make them at that drugstore. But I mean Now that... just listen. They take two bananas, you see? Now over that, they put three scoops of ice cream. Three! Over that pineapple sauce, over that whipped cream, over that chopped walnuts, and on top of that, a cherry. Mm -mm. Gosh, how can you say you ain't interested? Yeah, but Skinny, don't you get me? I promised the guys. Okay, okay. You got to keep a promise. Oh, but look, if some of them don't come and we can stretch this dollar far enough to... Hey, where is the dollar? Huh? It's not in my pocket. Are you kidding? It's not in my pocket. I know I had it in my pocket. Hey, hey, you know something? You remember just when we came into the park, you took out your new Scott knife to show me the special blade? Yeah. And we looked for something to try it out on? Hey, and... the dollar was in the pocket with the knife. It fell out. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Gee whiz, and that was a way back there, too. We'd better get back there and find it before somebody Boys. else does. Boys, wait. Hey, hey, there's somebody calling us. Yeah, it's that man coming down the path. And look, he's waving something. It's the dollar. I, I I, think maybe this belongs to one of you boys, huh? Gee, thanks, mister. Oh, gosh, we was just getting kind of worried. Well, I, I, I saw you drop it when you turned into the park. <laughs> and next time, I, I hope you don't walk so fast, huh? You see, Bill, I was just telling you we should not a hurry. Well, two boys with a dollar to spend and you don't want to hurry. Well, sure, if we hurry, we just get sodas. But if we take our time, it could be banana splits. Banana splits? What is that? 
You mean you don't know? Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I come from another country. Okay, it's about time somebody told you. Now, look, let's sit down on this bench, and I'll tell you all about it. Now, a banana split... Look, Skitty, the guys are waiting. Ah, let them wait. Maybe they'll go home. Now, first you take a banana seat, and then you Listen. split it. You go ahead and tell the kids to wait, and I'll be there in a minute. I'll tell them what it is. Oh, but gee whiz... Hold I'll... on. I can tell him faster. Oh, jeepers, always in a rush. Suppose you did promise the guys. Oh, please, this is not important. I do not want to take a boy's valuable time. That's though. okay. You gave me back my dollar, didn't you? All right, here's what a banana split is. First, they take a banana, split Walnuts and a cherry. This is, how do you say, edible? Sure, it's super. Super? Yeah, good. Well, I, I hope you excuse my saying this. It does not sound good. Maybe that's just because you don't have such things in your country, huh? No. In my country now, we do not have much of anything. Not ice cream, even? Many times, not even bread. Gee, that's kind of tough. What country do you come from, mister? Which one? Oh, it doesn't matter. There are many countries like mine. They speak different tongues, yes, but there is one thing they all understand. What it is like to be hungry and cold and bitter. Look, what is it like, mister? Well, how can I tell you? You are an American boy. Maybe you've never even been hungry. Sure, I've been hungry. Oh? Yeah, gee whiz. Just last summer, me and some of the guys in my scout troop went on a hike. We went off and forgot our lunches and... What's the matter? What are you looking at me that way for? How long were you hungry? Well, we started out right after breakfast. And we didn't get back till late that night. One day. Well, gee whiz, I was hungry, wasn't I? I'm glad you do not know what hunger is. It is a bad thing to know. It does a bad thing to your heart, the, the hunger that goes on not for a day, but months and years. A little to eat, yes, but never quite enough. And something happening to your heart that is worse than anything that could happen to your body. It is what... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe we should talk of more pleasant things, huh? But honest, mister, I want to know, what is it like? Well, no. But gosh, mister, I explain things to you. Well, all right. If you want, I will try to tell you. You were very kind explaining to me. But what I say is not going to be kind, maybe. Maybe it hurts. That's okay. I'm no salty. All right. Maybe the best way is for you to help me. I, I have not much words, but you have an imagination. We put them together and maybe we get a picture, huh? Okay. Okay. Oh, I like that word. Okay. It is so American. Well, all right. Now, you can imagine maybe you are a boy of your own age in my country. You have got now, I suppose, a comfortable home, huh? A good American home. And a family? Sure. Mom, Dad, my sister. So. But this boy you are imagining yourself to be, he would not have this comfortable home. Once he did. But it was... Bombed, destroyed. So you are living now maybe in a cellar. You and your mother and sister. Your father. Well, like 
like most of the fathers in my country, he was in the military, and and maybe he did not come back. So so you are wearing rags, and you are cold. And uh, as for food, well, it has been a long time since you have seen anything like good meat or milk or bread. A long time. But you have not forgotten what they are like, because food, any food, is the thing that is always in your mind. Always you are saying... Haven't we got anything to eat? Anything? Oh, I'm sorry, son. There's just a little of the potato soup we had yesterday. Can I, Mom? Please, just a couple of spoonfuls. It has to do for tonight, son. For all of us. Tonight, potato soup. Tomorrow, potato soup. Potato soup, when we got potatoes. Well... Maybe Julie will bring something home. Okay, Mom. I'll wait. You're a good boy, William. You don't complain very much. Oh, I guess I haven't much to complain about compared to you, Mom. Now, don't you worry about me, William. This... This trouble will all be over someday. 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 But when? I don't know, son. I don't know. Oh, Julie? Julie. Did you get anything? Did you get any food, sis? Nothing. No. Nothing. (laughs) Now, maybe to you, my boy, this looks, how should I say, impossible, huh? Maybe you cannot imagine it happening to you and your family. But it has happened to families just like yours. Much worse has happened. Things I cannot even tell you because you are a boy. A good boy. A fine boy. So what does a good boy do when his life and his world is filled with the dull gray ache of hunger? Maybe you go out to find some work, huh? To get a little money to buy food for the people you love? All right. You walk down to a street where once there were factories, though now they are ripped open by bombs, and the black beams are like ribs bared by famine. But finally you do find one building that still stands. Please, is there any kind of a job I could get here? Run along, kid. Please, any kind of a job. I'll do anything. Please. How can I give anybody a job? I have no machines, no materials, no nothing. Now, get out. But let us say maybe you do find a job one day. It is a hard job. And for you it is doubly hard. Not only because you are a boy, but because you are weak from the long hunger. And at the end of the day the job is true. But, but you have a little money. Now you can buy food, huh? Real food. No more potatoes, no more moldy crusts, good bread and meat, huh? All right. Most of the stores are closed, nailed up. But you find at last a place where there is a little food, if you have money. All right, kid. Speak up. Don't just stand there staring. What do you want? Could I... 
Could I buy a little of that meat? Meat? Sure. You got a lot of money? Well, I've got some money. Look. <laughs> money. You call that money? What do you think you can buy with that? Get out. The prices are high in the black market. And nowhere, it seems to you now, is there pity. Is there help? Is there even understanding for you? A boy lonely and afraid. In a world he never made. So in your rags and your clothes you walk and walk and walk. And you come maybe to a shop window where there is bread. Loaves of bread. There behind the glass. And into your mind there comes the thought. Bread. Bread. If I could only get a loaf of that bread. I... I... I can! Come back here! Come back here! What do you think you're doing? Break my window, will you? Please, mister, please, don't hit me! Steal my bread, will you? No, no, mister, please! You beat! You beat! I'll teach you! By little driven by hunger, you will sacrifice everything you have known as moral. Soon you will not only steal, you will kill to get what you want. And you and your gang will form a hard little island of hate and bitterness. You will grow up into a group of men pitted against everything that is decent in the world. But I don't want to do that. And someday, someday to your islands of hate, maybe there'll come another Hitler... And he'll mold your hunger and your bitterness and your disregard of all morals into another war. And he'll lead your generation into more years of senseless destruction. But I don't want that to happen. I don't want another war. I don't want it. Why, excuse me. I I am so sorry. I... I knew it would not be kind to tell you these things. What hunger can do to your heart. But I don't want it to happen. I don't want it. Well, who does? Because all the future of the world is in the hands of that boy you imagined yourself to be. His world is going to be what he makes it now. And your world, too. Hey, what's the matter with you, Bill? The guys are waiting. Come on. Oh, maybe you had better go. Remember, you promised, huh? Well, I guess. Okay. Goodbye, mister. Goodbye, my boy. Uh, Maybe I I will see you again sometime, huh? Hey, Bill, what were you talking to him about so long? Oh, you wouldn't get it, Skinny. Hey, what am I, a moron or something? Maybe you would get it at that. Look, what we were talking about. Well, everything's on the table, George. Guess we might as well go ahead and eat. Julie has to get dressed for the prom, you know. I wonder what can be keeping that boy. Oh, you know how it is, Dad. He went out with a bunch of his friends. Boys don't have any sense of responsibility. (laughs) Meaning that girls have? Well, I will say that girls usually come home to meals. But he wasn't even here for lunch. Well, I suppose the soda took care of that. But still, I can't... Gee, am I glad to see you people. Gosh, Julie, you look pretty. My goodness. And gee, Mom, you're looking swell. Well, thank you, William. I'm feeling very well. And Pop... 
Gee whiz, just let me touch you. Uh, son, uh, what's got into you? What was in that soda? Oh, I didn't even have a soda. Why should I want all that goo and gum? <laughs> well, that's a new angle for you. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I got a new angle on something else today, Dad. You remember what you said to me this morning about trying to scrape up some money for the relief campaign? Now, don't tell me you actually heard me. I did, Dad. And you can turn this in when you turn in ours. My huh? gracious. What's that? Look at all the money. $3.43. One of the dollars is what you gave me, Dad. The other one belonged to Skinny. He had it all the time. Can you imagine it? And the rest comes from all the guys in the neighborhood. The guys in the neighborhood? Yeah, the fellas at the drugstore. I gave him a real pep talk. I already cracked down on him. You? Out soliciting contributions for famine relief? And why not? I got a brain, haven't I? I can see the need, can I? Well, you've certainly never shown any signs of it before. Signs of what? A brain? Oh, children, children, please. Now, let's eat our dinner. Uh, thank you, Mother. William, will you say, Grace? Me? You mean... Me? Yes. I think you've shown that you're old enough to begin. Gee whiz. Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you for this food. We, uh, as we eat it, let us remember that, let us remember that the people we're sharing our food with are people just like us. And help us to help them to the... To help us to build us all a better world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Claude Jarman Jr. and J. Carol Nash. This is Robert Young again, and from your letters I know that many of you, in fact most of you, listen to family theater with your families, and how fortunate we American families are. Look at our children, then think for a second of the children of Europe. Think of the story in tonight's play. Millions of them facing one of the cruelest winters in Europe's history. They're clothed in rags, and thousands of kids, little kids, six, seven, eight years old, rooting in garbage cans for food. Now look at your kids. You have to admit, we're pretty lucky. And think for a second of Europe's displaced families. Fathers, mothers, and children, all separated, all frantically searching for each other, trying to be what you are, together. Just being together would be their happiness, a happiness we already have. But that family life is what so many of us seem bent on throwing away, our divorce courts are jammed. Our newspapers repeat over and over again the words juvenile delinquency. What's happening to us? Aren't we up to the job of keeping our homes and families together? Is it too much for us? All right, maybe it is. But we don't have to go it alone. We can get help. The most wonderful and powerful help a man could ask for. And that's all we've got to do. Ask for it. Ask and ye shall receive. Ask God to help. Pray. And pray together with your family. A family that prays together stays together. So pray together tonight, tomorrow night, and every night. Pray that your family will be together always.
to tonight's stars, Robert Young, Claude Jarman Jr., and J. Carol Nash. Before saying goodnight, we want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Fred Mackay for directing our play tonight and to our producer, Bob Longnecker. Next week, our stars on the Family Theater will be Edward G. Robinson, Pat O'Brien, and Bill Williams in an original story by True Boardman entitled Work of a Lifetime. This series of the Family Theater is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program, by the mutual broadcasting system which has responded to this need, and by the actors and technicians in the motion picture and radio industries who have volunteered their services to fulfill it. Portions of the preceding broadcast were transcribed. This program is heard overseas through the facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. Tony Lofrano speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Hey, folks. Um, this next one, um, I can't remember what it's about. It's been a few weeks since I did these. Uh, next go-round, I'm going to take some notes, better notes. Anyway, um... um Work of a Lifetime, and it stars, uh, the host is Edward G. Robinson, and, uh, you know, if you like, if, if you remember him, he's the one that was, that did the, uh, War of the Worlds kind of thing, where it scared everybody, because they thought the end of time was coming, <laughs> back in the 30s. Oh, was that a 30s presentation? Yeah, I think it was in the 30s. Not, um, I forgot what year, but... Oh, wow. I didn't know that. You're talking about the one with Orson Welles? Um, yeah. Okay, okay. But he had something to do with it, I think. If I'm not mistaken, he announced it or something. No, he was the... Uh... I think he was the reader of it. He made it sound like a news report. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. I knew he was he narrated some way in it. Yeah. Scared everybody. I think dead. I have a copy of it somewhere. Huh, we should play it someday. Yeah. I'll find it if you don't find it. Is it in the public domain? Uh, yeah, it may be on Rusk. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I think we should it. let people hear work of a lifetime. Oh, you think? I think. Oh, let's just waste their time. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy, everybody. <laughs> the Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Pat O'Brien and Bill Williams. Edward G. Robinson is your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of.
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Edward G. Robinson. Thanks for inviting us into your home this evening. And it's nice to know that so many of you are listening with your families. Your letters tell us that, and we're pleased because it means that you like our program and the purpose behind it. As most of you know, Family Theater is dedicated to your family, and dedicated with the hope that your family is well and happy, and that your home is all you wish it to be. We join with so many of you in the conviction that a family that prays together stays together. For if we have understanding and harmony within our own homes, we will also have a broader and a brighter viewpoint of our neighbors' problems and those of the world at large. Well, enough about our purpose and more about tonight's play, which is based on an original story by Matt Taylor and adapted for the family theater by True Boardman and features two of our most popular and well-known stars, Bill Williams and Pat O'Brien. So stand by for Work of a Lifetime. The somber mass of stone and steel that is a state penitentiary... In row upon row of cell blocks, silent, sallow men sit waiting through the eternity that is the time they are to serve. And on a certain winter's day, in the office of the warden, in the prison administration building... Why shouldn't a man get out of this place when he gets a chance? He should. Of course he should. Warden, you ought to see the place I'm going. As pretty a little valley as God ever made. And I'll have my own house and a garden and a housekeeper. Twenty-seven years. Yes, men have come here with a death rap and served less time than that. Well, if you're looking for an argument from me, you're, you're out of luck. If I'd been in your place, I'd have tried to get out long ago. Uh, but you will remember about young Jensen. He's due for another examination next month. That cough of his sounds pretty bad. Oh, and that... Machine in the jute mill where the guardrail is broken. Now, look, Father Darcy, I've let you practically run this penitentiary for years because I had no choice. But once you walk through that door, I'm running things. Don't worry, Father. I'll see about Jensen. Yes? Warden? What is it, Keller? It's Morgan, sir, in the hospital. He's pretty bad, and he says he wants to see Father Darcy. Oh, well, you better look up the new chaplain, Keller. Officially, Father Darcy's transferred. Oh, to... nonsense. The lad sent for me, didn't he? Of course I'll see him. Uh, but, Father... Warden, I don't get it. I didn't know Morgan was a Father Darcy's faith. You ought to know by now that never made any difference in here. Well, it's nearly three. You better call the assembly. You know, Warden, this place is going to seem different somehow with Father Darcy gone. You think that's news to me? Well, what are you standing there for? Assemble the men. Then go after the Father and tell him they're waiting. Keller said something about an assembly. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, how about Morgan? He's gone. I'm grateful I was still there to be with him. Well, the men are waiting. All of them, uh, we'll go right in. I tell you, I know I'm talking about. I Say, what is this? Never mind. 
<coughs> Men, Father Darcy is leaving this afternoon. And while I know he said goodbye to many of you individually, I felt sure he'd like to say a word to all of you at once. All right, Father. Well, I, I don't know what the warden's talking about. Why I should want to say goodbye to a bunch of hoodlums like you, I don't know. You're a fine lot of specimens. After all my training, you still can't play a decent game of baseball. The way you played last Saturday. Why, the, the women's prison could beat you. You, my colleague. Unless your game improves, you'd better stop blowing off about coming from Brooklyn. Now, look at you all. The worst-looking lot of two-time losers I ever saw. I'd be glad to be rid of you. But as bad as you are, if you're ever out walking some afternoon and you happen to stroll down Pearl Valley Way, stop in. And I'll make an effort to put up with you. Well, what I'm trying to say is, when you do get out, you'll be welcome. And the and all of you. Yes, even you, Jack Marston, who slept through Mass for the last three Sundays. Huh. You thought I didn't know about that, didn't you? Well, that's all, men. Except that being an old fool by nature, I'll probably miss the lot of you. So long. And for those of you who want it, you have my blessing. What are you getting up for? Now sit down, all of them. Okay, slug. Now's the time. What is this? Father, uh, this here is something a bunch of the boys got together and fixed for you. It's, um, it's an altar cloth for your new church. <laughs> it's kind of crooked on one end, but that's on account of Killer O'Meara never counts his stitches right. We, uh, we all thank you for what you've done here, and we hope you're going to like it down in Pearl Valley. So long, Father. And good luck. Okay, you guys, come on, give up with the singing. Rock of ages, clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the You can see those windows lead out onto the garden. That's really the finest view in all Pearl Valley in the springtime. Oh, I can see it would be, Father Thomas. I hope everything is arranged to your liking, Father Darcy. Everything is fine. But I may need some time to get on to things. This is my first parish, you know. You were up at the prison a long time, then. A couple of thousand lifetimes, son. Uh, you uh, sort of watch me shop for a while, will you? you know, what I say, I mean. I, I don't think the good parishioners of Pearl Valley would... Appreciate stir talk or prison language in the sermons. <laughs> I'd watch it. 
Uh, and now, uh, if you'd like to see the kitchen. Oh, the most important room in the house. Don't let Mrs. Wilkins startle you. She talks a good deal, but she's also the best cook in the valley. Oh, Father Thomas, I'm... Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mrs. Wilkins, this is Father Darcy. How do you do, Mrs. Wilkins? Oh, you have to forgive me. I'd at least have had my apron off if I'd have known. This kitchen is just a mess. How do you do, Father? We're that glad to have you. And you're glad to be here, I dare say, after all that time with those cutthroats and all. Oh, and this is little Jimmy Mason. He just brought over a jar of jam for you from his mother. Uh, say how to do to Father Darcy, Jimmy. Hello, Father Darcy. Jimmy's father is president of the bank here, and his mother... Well, pardon me, Mrs. Wilkins. Jimmy, I'm glad to see you, son. Would you like to shake hands? I guess so. Ah, thank you. I'll be looking for you in church on Sunday. I'll be there. Father? Yes, son? Were you really up there in the big house? Yes, Jimmy, for a long time. Gee, did you ever see anybody ride old Smokey? You know, get burned? Jimmy! Oh, goodness sake. Uh, Father, the child should be punished. Now, 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 Mrs. Wilkins, please. Yes, Jimmy, I saw a good many men go to the electric chair. And it wasn't... Uh, we'll talk about that some other time. Suppose you run on home now. Oh, and thank your mother for the jelly. It was jam. For the jam. Yes, Father. Goodbye. Oh, uh, wait, Jimmy. I'll walk down with you. Goodbye, Jimmy. Bye, Father Darcy. Well, I never, Father. I, I just don't know what to say about that child. Of course, you may be sure that none of the rest of us will ever mention you having been up in that awful place. Then why shouldn't you mention it? After all, I was the chaplain and not an inmate, you know. Father Darcy, I... Oh, good heavens, there's someone out back to see you. He said he wouldn't leave until you got here. Well, who is it, Mrs. Wilkins? Out here, you say. Liv! Hi, dear Father Darcy. Well, come in here. I'm glad to see you, boy. Yes, sir. I sure feel proud to see you, sir. Now, I was beginning to think that you wasn't coming. Mrs. Wilkins, this is Leavenworth Johnson. Howdy, ma'am. Pleased to meet you. Mrs. Wilkins, Leavenworth and I are very old and very good friends. We were uh, associates for some time. Associates? How long was it exactly, Lev? Well, uh, eight years and three months, Father. You helped me get almost two years off for good behavior, you remember? Well, you helped yourself, son, and I was proud of you. Go on in my study there, boy. I'll be right in. I want to talk to you. Yes, sir, Father, and me likewise. Uh, Mrs. Wilkins, count on one more for dinner. Leavenworth will be staying. Father, that man? Why, he looks like a cutthroat. <laughs> I'll tell you a secret, Mrs. Wilkins. He is. That's what he served eight years for. Oh, <laughs> Father Darcy! <laughs> oh, love you, scoundrel. What are you doing in Pearl Valley? Well, the day I got out up there, I done tell you that if you ever went away from that place... No matter where it was, you could always count on me to come and tend for you. Well, Whitey Jefferson done written me that you was coming here, and here I is to stay. Uh, Lev, I, I'm grateful to you for your offer, and more grateful than you know, but I... Uh, now, Father, well, uh, if it's money that you is worried about, eating and sleeping, that's all I want. As far as you and me is concerned, after all you done done for me up there, the Emancipation Proclamation is hereby repealed. You're in a strange country here about, Father. You're going to need me plenty, believe me. Lev, I'm beginning to think you're right. Mm -hmm. 
marketing bazaar is customary, Father Darcy. Uh, of course, if they feel it's too much work and you'd rather not bother... Bother but... nothing. Some work is what I'm looking for around here. Zayda here to see you, Father. It's about the parish Christmas party. Mm. Show the good ladies in. And find Father Thomas for me, so they'll have somebody who talks their language. Uh, that's on Thursday. And then Friday and Saturday, there are two christenings, uh, a marriage and a young people's dance. Oh, yes, and uh, two new altar boys are to be selected. Looks like a very strenuous week for you, I'm afraid, Father. Very strenuous. Lev, did you hear that? A strenuous week. Strenuous? <laughs> well, my money, this is the nothing ever happenest place that ever was. All I do is sit and get fat. <laughs> Just like you're doing, Father. <laughs> you're right, Lev. The warden should see me now. This is exactly the life he said I needed. Yeah, dull, ain't it? Father Darcy. Father Darcy. Oh, I knew it would happen. I knew it. What is it, Mrs. Wilkins? What's happened? I just heard the prison. There's been a prison break, and the men who escaped are headed this way, and we'll all be murdered in our beds. How many escaped, and when? Where'd you hear about it? It's this? all over town. I wonder if Father Thomas knows we'll all be murdered in our beds. Father Thomas! A break, Lev. I wonder if it's true. Could be, even as Miss Wilkins do say so. I will soon find out. Hello. This is Father Darcy. Give me the Daily Inquirer, please. I think the number is uh, 412. Most of the breaks are tried this time of the year when... Uh, hello. Uh, hello, Mr. Payson. Father Darcy. I hear there's news of a break about the prison. How many? Only one. What's his name? Oh, oh yes. Yes, I, I know him. He, he's headed down this way. You're sure? Thanks, Mr. Payson. It's Vigo, Lev. Benny Vigo. Hey, that real mean guy in cell block five? The one that handed the knuckle interview to Hendrix that time and nearly put him away? That's Vigo. A crazy fool. He's only got a year to go. Now he takes a chance on going for the whole ride. Well, maybe they won't catch him. A uh, farmer gave him a lift on the road just north of here. He's identified him completely. Prison guards and state troopers are already after the boy. They even sent for the hounds. Uh-oh, he is good as lock up right now. Lev... If you were in Benny's place, where would you go? Around here, I mean, to hide out. Well, gosh, Father, I don't exactly know. I reckon down by the freight yards. Well, that's, that's the first place I'd look. No, no, you'd be someplace near the tracks, so you could run for a freight train when it passed, someplace where there's lots of cover, trees and bushes. Well, there ain't no place like that around here, except in them woods back at the golf course. And what runs along the other side of the golf course? Well, there's nothing but the, hey, the train tracks. Leavenworth Johnson, you said a while ago that I was getting fat. Well, you're right. What I need is some exercise. Come on. Let's go out and have a good game of golf. That was a good drive I made back there, Lev, if I do say it myself. Over a hundred yards. Look, Father... I don't get it. Is you just expecting that Benny fella to walk right out on the golf course in plain sight and talk to you? Bad thing about this fifth hole, Lev. Fairway runs so close to the woods. Little slice and your ball is lost in the trees. Give me that brassy. Yes, sir. Hey, that ain't the right club for no shot like this. No, I think it is. Watch this. 
I told you the ball done went slicing right square into them trees. Stay here, Lev. Stay here and come quickly if I call you. Now, Father, you can't go in there alone. That fellow Vigo is dangerous, Father. Mighty careless way to hit the ball. Mighty careless. Wasn't it, Benny? Benny Vigo, it's you I'm talking to. I know you're in there. I saw you watching me when I made the last drive. They're combing the place for you, Benny. They've even sent for the hounds. There are sense to search here soon. Come on, son. For the last time, I'll ask you. Come on out now, or I'll go about my business and let somebody else find you. The difference is I want to help you, Benny. All right, lad. If that's the way you want it. Wait. Wait a minute. Okay. Okay, so I'm here. What about it? Benny, I'm glad to see you, boy. What are you doing around here? Oh, this is my parish, Benny. I've been here ever since I left the prison. Didn't you know that? No. Benny, I want to talk Stay to Stay right where you are. I'll give you the heat. A rod. Oh, I suppose you got that gun where you got those clothes. Pals on the outside had them stashed away waiting for you. Oh, you were always a smart lad. Never mind the yap, parson. You said you had something to say. Well, spill it. Where do you go from here, Benny? That's none of your business. I'll make it. Not if I turn you in, you won't. You ain't turning me in. You're pretty sure of that, aren't you? Oh, but then that cannon in your hand makes you sure of a lot of things. I can take care of myself. All right, Hey, they're closing in. That's right, Benny. Get out of here, high coloring, quick. You're not taking me, see? Well, a swell chance you'll have, son, against a lot of them. I told you to stop talking and beat it. All right, Benny, but I won't go alone. Lev, Leavenworth. What is this? Yes, sir, Father, where is it? Here, Lev, here. Hey, you found him. Hi there, Vigo. Hey, now, look, don't point that thing at me. I, I'm just doing what I was told. Give Vigo that golf ball. Give yes. him that golf bag. Give yes, him father. What's the angle? What gets the golf bag? A man playing golf can have a caddy, can't he? All right. Keep that hat down over your eyes. Stick right beside me. I'll play the next hole. That'll bring us right here to where my car is parked. Once we're out of the club grounds, you get back. And keep your face to the floor. Well, what about me, Father? You head off into the woods, Lev, and get going. Yes, sir, Father. I've gone already. Whatever you're doing, good luck with it, Father. So long. So long, Lev. All right, Benny, we're off. And if you remember your prayers, lad, you'd better start saying them. If we're going to get away with this, we'll need help. Lots of it. Let's go. Right back there. I'm okay. How's about the cops? We passed most of them. Still keep low. Don't worry. Where are you taking me, Parson? You know a good hideout? The best in the world. Where is it? Your house? Better than that, son. Watch it. Stay low. The stopping car's ahead. I'll try to drive on through. <laughs> We made it. Oh, for a moment I was worried. Believe me, I never thought that we would ever. Yeah? We made it, huh? Uh, easy now, easy, lad. Easy. Stay down! Hey, pull over there! Where do you think you're going anyway? Oh, hello, Officer Nelson. Something wrong? Oh, Father Darcy. Didn't recognize you. We're looking for that escaped convict. Say, I heard about him. Go right ahead, Father. Sorry I bothered you. Oh, no bother at all, officer.
understand, Benny. I just tried one myself. I guess we're all clear now. You got what it takes, Parson. I'll give you that much. Thank you, son. But you still ain't said where you're taking me. I haven't, have I? Well, you have to know sometime. I'm taking you back to prison, Benny. You're taking me? You. You crossed me. Easy, son. I said I'd get you to where you'd be safe. And that means inside those walls. There's no place else. Stop this car. Pull into the first side road. No, Benny. I'm going on, and you're not stopping me. I'm not, huh? You feel that smart guy? Well, shooting me in the back is not the answer, Benny. Shut up! Shut up and stop this car. Maybe I did cross you, but I had to. You're a scared, mixed-up guy with a loaded gun in your hands. The first man who tried to take you, you'd shoot him, Benny. Maybe the second, too, but... Sooner or later, one of them would get you, and if you were alive, you'd still go back up there, son. Not in a car with me, not like this, with at least half a chance, but... Stop talking! I'm warning you! No, you wouldn't be going back. Maybe you only serve one more year and... And then be free. You'll be going for the finish, Benny. The quick and terrible finish I've tried to help so many men to meet. Stop it! Do you hear me? I said to stop you, you're going to stop the car. Stop it! A year, Benny. A year. One last short year and you'll be free. Oh, oh I know you think it'll be a longer rap after you try to break, but there's something we can try. Oh, I can't promise it'll work. Believe me, son, I want to help you. I know what's in your heart. Oh, I know how you grew up. No family, no affection. No one who cared or understood and... That's always what's made you want to fight the world. Stop it! All right, Father. I'm counting three, see? And if you ain't stopped that car by then, I'm letting you have it. All right, Benny. I believe in you, lad. There is the makings of a fine man in you. One? You'll do what you have to do. No one can blame you, but it could be otherwise. You could finish your sentence and go on to a fine, useful life. Two? God bless you, Benny. And forgive you. Three! Well, Benny, I'm waiting. Oh, I can't. I can't give it to you. I can't. Oh, oh of course you can't, son. Here, give me that gun. It's a great gamble I took on you, lad. I, I gambled that even though you were a rogue and a thief. It wasn't in you to shoot a man in the back, and I won, Benny. I won. Well, stop your whimpering and listen to me. First, got to find the spot where you hid your prison clothes. Then if the brakes are still with us... Who is it? Open the gate, Keller. Father Darcy! What are you doing up here? Oh, just a visit to the warden. I, I've got something in the back seat from. Well, that's mighty thoughtful of you, Father. Go right in. Benny, can you hear me? Yeah. Where are we? Inside, just back of the laundry. The gong will sound off any minute. The men will be crowding for supper. Fall right in line. You'll not be noticed. Get up in front. The screws will be in the rear. There it is, lad. You are a right guy, Forget father. Forget it, son. Run for him. Good luck. Dear Lord, I'm most grateful for what you've done for many. And for me, too. If this be wrong in your eyes, let me be punished. But let things be easier for the boy. I place him completely in your hands from now on. Amen.
Father, for the tenth time, I tell you, that man did make a break. He did. Can you prove it, Warden? Well, he was missing at last night's checkup. His cell wasn't slept. Your man must be getting careless. Well, you know they're not careless. Besides, who ever heard of a man breaking into the penitentiary? Oh, that's a laugh. A laugh, is it? It's a strange coincidence that the one person who identified Vigo saw him near Pearl Valley, and tonight... Just when Vigo reappears, I have a visitor from Pearl Valley in his car. Oh, you're wrong, Warden. That's not my car. It belongs to the parish. Young Father Thomas will likely be driving it after I talk to the bishop. What do you mean? I understand your new chaplain doesn't like it here, so I've been thinking of coming back and taking his place. Are you crazy? You've got everything down there in Pearl Valley. That's right, everything but my real job. Everything but enough people who need the kind of help I know best how to give. While I think of it, oh, we've got to line up a good job for someone. Lev Johnson. Maybe that stockholder fellow who gets out next month and need a chauffeur. <laughs> or a golf caddy. A golf caddy? Lev Johnson? Father, are you sure you feel all right? You haven't been fasting too much. Nothing of the kind. I'm feeling wonderful, Warden. The beautiful bad air of this place is doing me good already. Oh, Father, be sensible. You've got a soft berth in Pearl Valley. Stick to it. You said yourself 27 years in this place was enough for any man. Well, I was wrong. It's not a matter of years, Warden. When there's a whole lifetime of work for a man to do... He can't possibly do it unless. This is Edward G. Robinson again, expressing thanks to Pat O'Brien and Bill Williams for two fine performances. You know, no matter who you are or where you may be, I'm sure you'll agree with me about one thing. Nothing in this whole wide world can bring us more happiness than a family. If your family life is a happy one, well, you're really sitting right smack on top of the world. But by the same token, if your family is falling apart instead of sticking together, if your family life is one argument after another, if your children get into one scrape after another, well, then let's not kid each other. You really know the meaning of the word misery. And I guess we've got to admit that these days that there are so many things that seem to be responsible for breaking up our homes. Things that seem impossible to cope with. Our newspapers are filled with stories on juvenile delinquency and possibly the main trouble is the example we as parents set for our children. Uh, what are your thoughts on the subject, Pat O'Brien? You're a good family man. Well, Eddie, it's a pretty big task to bring up children properly. As a matter of fact, the job is apt to be too tough for even the best of parents. However, we don't have to do it alone. We can get help. The most powerful help a man can ask for. But remember, we've got to ask for it. Ask and you shall receive. Yes, ask God for his help. Pray. Pray with your children that God will help your family. The very act of praying together will bring your family closer together. Remember, a family that prays together stays together. So pray together tonight and every night that your family may be together always. Good night. Thank you, Pat. And before saying good night, I want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to True Boardman for directing our play tonight and to our producer, Bob Longnecker. Next week, our stars on the family theater will be Lee Bowman, George Murphy, and Jimmy Gleason in an original story by Bud Lesser entitled A Bunch of Keys. Now, this is Edward G. Robinson saying good night to all. The series of family theater broadcasts is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
hello folks um this next one is called a bunch of keys and i remember that it was good but i can't remember what it was about i am sorry it's been about three weeks since i did these photographs um So keep back and enjoy. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Lee Bowman and Frank McHugh. George Murphy is your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Good evening, this is George Murphy as your host of Family Theater tonight. I want to welcome all of our new listeners and say thank you to all of the old friends whose loyalty and word-of-mouth enthusiasm for our program and its purposes have helped us to grow tremendously. Family Theater, as you know, is dedicated to a purpose, a purpose no one can quarrel with, a happy family. We number quite a few million now, and that's an encouraging note. It means that all of you join with us in the belief that a happy family is not only our most precious possession, but is also the very foundation of the peace and understanding which is needed in the community, the nation, and the world today. We also share the simple conviction that prayer, family prayer, can help keep our families well and happy, can help keep our homes together. For a family that prays together stays together. And now it's time for our play. Tonight, Family Theater presents an original story entitled A Bunch of Keys, written by Bud Lesser and starring two of your favorites, Lee Bowman and Frank McHugh. I'm the proprietor of the only decent eating place in Barston. So naturally, I know most everyone in town. Oh, a few people try Miss Madigan's once in a while. But they get tired of the tea room whipped cream goo. So they come back to Jimmy. That's me. Oh, you wanted to know about Joel Hammond. Well, it's an interesting story. I can't tell you the ending because the ending hasn't been lived yet. But I can tell you quite a bit about the beginning. It was one of those warm spring mornings that makes you glad you're alive. Only the down-and-outer who stood in front of my place wasn't interested in the weather, or life, or anything, but the aroma of the coffee I was making. I was about to go out and tell him to come in and have a cup on the management when that Louise McGowan came along. You know, that cute little girl with the big eyes. She had her head buried in the morning paper as she rounded the corner. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you. I guess I... Oh, that's, that's all right. You don't weigh very much. Oh, I guess that's because I dash around so much. Oh. Is uh, Jimmy's open? Yeah. Can't you smell the coffee? Mm, yeah. And I do need a cup. Well, sorry I charged into you. I'll be sick. Hey, uh, wouldn't you like a cup of coffee? Uh, thanks. Uh, but uh, I just uh, just had one down the block a ways. There isn't any restaurant down the block a ways. Oh, come on. I do owe you a cup of coffee at least. Why, you could sue me for dangerous walking. Come on now. 
I've been down on my luck, too. I tell you what, you can sit at the other end of the counter if I'm not your type. I'd love a cup of coffee. And I'd like to sit beside you, if you don't mind. I haven't talked to anyone in almost a week. Good morning, Louise. Hi, Jimmy. I brought you another customer. You know, you should be paying me commission. Uh, let's see. Orange juice, toast, and coffee for me. And you'll have the same, plus some ham and eggs. Double order. I, I, I really shouldn't Look, let let's, you... Uh, let's sit in the booth. We'll have more room to spread out the paper in case we want to read. But they didn't want to read. Either of them. Louise is the sort who likes to know what makes people tick. And to tell you the truth, I was pretty curious about this stranger myself. You could see he hadn't been a bum for too long. And I sort of took my time getting their breakfast ready. And when I finally got back to the booth, he was talking. Opening up like a man who's lived with himself too long. And as he poured out his heart... My little beanery became the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Things were popping on the exchange that afternoon he was telling about. There was a frenzy of buying and selling. Joel Hammond stood by his post, tossing his bunch of keys into the air and catching them again as they thudded against the heel of his hand. This key business used to serve as a sort of a barometer. And some of the other traders used it in buying and selling. But that day, the keys went up and down at a mile-a-minute clip. The wise boys knew there was trouble in the air. This is Hammond. Put me through to my office, please. Harry, it's taken another tumble. I'll need some help. Nope, the bottom's out of industrial, too. I'll have to call on Lester and you, too. Oh? Oh, I see. Of course I understand. Hammond again. Will you get my fiancé for me on the phone? It's Plaza 3... Yeah, that's right. Three more points. Hello? Hello? May I speak to Miss Richmond, please? Oh, Violet. I didn't recognize your voice. Uh, Violet, things have gone a little sour here. I'm afraid I'll have to borrow those bonds I gave you last week to hold for me. No, no, not yet. But if I can't raise some big money in a hurry... Oh, oh, I see. That wouldn't be convenient for me to be washed up either. Well, it's it's nice to know the score, Violet. Never mind, then. Have a nice time at the party, dear. Alex! Alex, uh, I won't be needing this key. Will you see that it's turned in at the exchange office? Here, for your trouble. I'm not that broke. Oh, uh, Miss Emerson. Yes? Is Mr. Finch around? Oh, no, Mr. Hammond. He left the office. They've all gone. I, uh, I could have guessed it. Miss Emerson, I, uh, I won't be around for a while. Someone might like an extra key. The cleaning woman, maybe. Here. A bunch of keys were still being tossed in the air as Joel took the elevator. Down. And he walked out of the office building. For the last time. <laughs> Joel arrived at the Lido Club to clean out his locker, he found the usual assortment of slacks and sweaters and gadgets in addition to his golf clubs, things you might find in any locker in any given club. But they represented something very real to Joel Hammond. They represented his acceptance 
His reputation on the street was enough to get him by at the Lido Club, but the camaraderie of the 19th hole was over now. Oh, Joe. Uh, Joel, glad I saw you. I was going to phone. Afraid our foursome's off for the weekend. Oh? Oh, that's too bad. Yes, I have a client coming in from out of town, and, well, I promised him a game when he got here. Fred and Sam will want to come along, I know. He's a fraternity brother. That's all right, Art. I think I may be out of town anyway. I wanted to talk to you about something, though. Oh, sorry, Joel. The gang's waiting for me on the first tee. Could we talk it over the first of the week or sometime? You don't have to worry, Art. I just wanted to give you that iron you always had a hankering for. Oh, thanks. But uh, just by luck, I stumbled across one at Spaulding's yesterday. Almost exactly like it. Uh, thanks awfully, awfully, though. Uh, be seeing you. The habits of years are not easily broken. Joel went out of the clubhouse tossing his bunch of keys into the air, apparently unmindful of the fact that the bunch had been reduced from six to two in a few hectic hours. And all you have to say to me is that you're busy tonight and you'd like to talk it over in the morning? Oh, I'm really frightfully sorry, Joel. I, I made the date with the Creightons ages ago. Oh, you're usually busy on Thursday nights, and I know you can't abide the Creightons. I've so managed I... to survive several evenings with them over the past few years. All right, then, Joel. If you won't let me be nice about it, the Creightons wouldn't welcome you. Everyone in my circle knows by this time that you were washed up this afternoon. Now they're saying, what could Violet Richmond ever seen in that big farmer with the loud suits? Violet, I got rid of the suits you didn't like three weeks after we met. And I got rid of that loud car you didn't like this afternoon. That too, Joel. Oh, I'm really sorry. Sorry enough to marry me and go away somewhere? Make a new start? Mm, let's not make a scene, Joel. Oh, there were times when I thought we you might... You had money and I was willing to help you spend it. <laughs> but you're still a Horatio Alger farm boy under that pinstripe. And if I wouldn't marry you then, I certainly wouldn't now. Well, there's no denying your honesty. I'm sorry I held you up. I'm going up to the lodge until I can figure this all out. And, uh, oh yes, give the Creightons my love. <laughs> Joel Hammond left for New England the next day. All that was left of the past hung on his keychain. It was the key that opened his country lodge. The big, rambling place came alive as Louise made Joel tell her about it, between mouthfuls of ham and eggs. And you could hear something of how he died there, a little at a time. I didn't do much of anything there, but I kept telling myself that... This was what I needed. Mm. Long walks, hours in front of the fireplace, an occasional trip to the village for food. You uh, cooked it yourself? Oh, I let the caretaker go the first day. It took almost my last dollar to pay him off. Oh, and after that you were completely alone? For a month. Well, maybe more. I didn't keep track of the time. I slept a lot. When I slept, I didn't think so much. And uh, then I had a visitor. Oh? He brought me a letter, a letter about an engagement present. Who was the letter from? Well, it was signed by a lawyer, but it was really from Violet. It tied the pink ribbon on the whole situation. I see. She wanted something, but you had nothing left, huh? Just the lodge. I still have the letter. Right here. It makes nice reading. This communication will serve to inform you that the country lodge now being occupied by you was purchased in 1943 and in accordance with your instructions was registered under the name of Miss Violet Richmond. She has informed me that she has sold aforementioned property, and since the new owners desire occupancy at an early date... But she sold, couldn't do that. I left that very day. 
The place held no refuge, no peace for me anymore. What could I do? I studied the want ads at night, but no one advertised for an ex-boy wonder of Wall Street. But, Joel, your experience in business must have been worth something. Oh, sure, sure. Talented fourth at golf, second at gin rummy and nightclubbing. Desires responsible position where he can lose his employer's money as rapidly as he lost his own. With that attitude, you couldn't possibly get or hold a job. Oh, oh I tried things to build up my morale. Liquor, a book on how to be a success... Copying some of the easy-come-easy-go boys I bumped into in my wanderings. I really tried to shake this thing. But I couldn't. This morning I've really hit bottom. I'm accepting charity. A handout. And from a woman. Now I've tried everything. No. Not everything. Oh. So now I get the lecture. Now I'm told that I needed a good woman. Or religion. Or faith in God. Or something. You filled my belly, and now you can save my soul. You'll get a special merit badge in the Girl Guides. Or you can tell your Sunday school class how you saved a sinner. I'm much too busy to save your soul. Here, Jimmy, I'll be seeing you. Oh, I... I... I I'm sorry. I was very rude, wasn't I? Yes. Yes, you were. But I understand. And you won't rush off for another moment? Oh, I really have to. I... Wanted to get to the office early so I could leave in time to get my apartment cleaned up. Well, well, uh, why, why don't you let me do that? Oh. Well, it would be a way of paying you back for breakfast. Oh, I wouldn't think of letting you. No, no, I, I, I mean it. I'd like to do it. Oh. It's more than just paying you back for breakfast. I'd, I'd like to polish the stove and scrub the floors until they shine. I'd, I'd like to lose myself in a sea of soap suds. I'd like to show you that I could... All right, it's a deal. The apartment is down the side street around the corner. 331 Maple, apartment 30. Oh, uh, here's the key. You can bring it back to Jimmy when you're through. Do you really need a job, fella? I haven't got a nickel. Well, I can use a helper. Could you wash dishes? Maybe do a little light cooking? You know, fry an egg, maybe fill the coffee urns? I think I could. But I've got to clean that young lady's apartment first. I promised her. I could come in late this afternoon. Oh, I don't need you in the afternoons. Suppose you start tomorrow morning. You clean the place up, get the coffee started... Maybe wait on a few early birds before I get here. Oh, you know how those coffee urns work? Yeah, I, I watched you through the window this morning. Now, when you're all set. Oh, uh, you'll find a razor and a clean apron in the back room when you get here. You'll be opening up, so you'll need my extra key. There, catch. a boy. Hey, you ought to be playing for the Dodgers. <laughs> He didn't hear my last great witticism. He was looking around the counter for something. He found it at last. A small piece of twine from one of the sugar sacks I'd been emptying. He took his two keys, that's the one to Louise's apartment, the one to my beanery, and he tied them together. He was tossing them up in the air. <laughs> well, he wasn't exactly a personality kid with the customers that first morning. Well, he did his chores well. And with a shave and a white apron, he wasn't a bad-looking guy. He seemed to sort of relieve the tension by tossing his two keys in the air. He'd given Louise's key back, of course, but he had a key to a room down the street where he'd gotten on my say-so. And Louise came in to thank him the next day. Morning, Jimmy. Morning, Joel. Good morning, Louise. Hi, Louise. The usual? Huh? The usual. The usual, Joel. Orange juice, toast, and coffee coming up. 
Uh, is this stool on your station, my good man? I do so like to have my favorite waiter to take care of me. Here you are. I made the coffee. Mmm, smells good. <laughs> you know, I really had time to fix my own breakfast this morning, but... Well, I wanted to come in and thank you for the job you did in my apartment. It hasn't looked like that since I moved in. And where did you find those flowers? Um, oh, they, uh, they were growing in that empty lot on the corner. Oh. Oh, you're getting better. You have keys. Is that what's done? In a way. And I know that I'm better than I've been in months. But I'm not kidding myself. I know that I won't be, well, back to normal until I have my bunch of keys again. Oh. Keys that open the doors to the things I didn't have as a kid. All men are created free and equal, it says here. But they don't stay free and equal. They have to fight for the things that make people say, there goes Joel Hammond. He just bought a home on the Riviera. He's always at first nights and Mondays at the opera, the polo games and the horse shows. I've never seen a play, much less a first night. But I know what you mean. We have fun here in Boston, though. We have two picture houses. Joel and Louise took in both the Orpheum and the Bishop that week. And he continued to work for me. After that tirade the first morning, he seemed to settle down to his new job. Assistant to the owner of a beanery in a one-horse town. And then suddenly, after a few months, he quit. He didn't say why. I didn't ask. But I had an idea. He'd gotten a chance to add another key to his new bunch. Well, here I am, Mr. Bryant. Which is my desk. Your desk? <laughs> the whole shebang is yours. You're the manager. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to seem like an ingrate, Mr. Bryant, but uh, this whole thing doesn't make sense. You offer me a job as a real estate salesman at twice what I was getting at Jimmy's, and, and now you tell me that I'm the manager of the whole outfit? I liked your manner the first time I laid eyes on you, and I have confidence that you can make money for both of us. The salary is only a starter. All right, all right, go ahead. I, I need money. I have to have it if I'm going to get where I expect to go, again. But I have to know the setup. Why did you pick a town like Barston? And what made you select the assistant hash slinger in a lunchroom as your prize salesman? Oh, get off your high horse, Hammond. Uh, Joe, the deal's on the level, but I'm not making any claim to being a philanthropist. I'm a businessman. Yeah, I know you built that swell new house way out near the airport. But you, you wouldn't need a salesman to sell that house in these times. I'm going to build 500 of those houses, Joe, my boy. And I'm going to rent them to veterans at low rents. And they'll fill up in a hurry. Well, they sure will. Veterans need homes. But you say you're a businessman. There isn't much profit in becoming a one-man veterans housing committee. Where's this big profit? <laughs> Gad, you are a suspicious soul. And I'm glad you are. This way you'll be able to answer others when they put these questions. The deal is simple. With 500 new families moving into an undeveloped community, there's a great opening for the local businessmen. The project will need markets and hardware stores, maybe a movie house, even a restaurant, or any number of things. It'll be a little city all by itself. Yeah, where, where does the profit come in? I've bought all the property around there. Got it for a song. And we're going to sell it at a very handsome profit. Hmm. Sounds good. Well, where do I fit in? Oh, you've met most of the local businessmen since you've been working at Jimmy's, and, uh, and they like you, according to all I hear. You've got to sell them on the idea of helping us help them make Barston grow. I couldn't do it, and maybe you can't either. <laughs> They're suspicious of anyone who hasn't lived in the town for at least 25 years. Ah, but if you were to sell Jimmy the idea of becoming the president of our community plan, uh, they might go for it, eh? The folks in this town think a lot of him. He gets the credit for providing homes for 500 veterans, 
and a new center for profitable stores, and I sell a lot of land, I got cheap at a real profit. I'm figuring you in for half. I bought the first lot. As a sight from a new restaurant. Ah, oh, Joel was busy. Talking of the town's big money. Almost every night. You'd be helping the Veterans Committee and yourself at the same time, Mr. Schmidt. They have to have a meat market. Jimmy sees things our way, Mr. Gardner, and there'll be lots of kids who'll need new shoes in the new project. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy bought the first lot. But we'll need a drugstore, too, Mr. Skinner. I don't think the soda fountain will hurt Jimmy's business too much. A furniture store? Should do well, Mr. Levy. You'll also be giving the vets a hand in building up the community. By the end of November, the project was really set. I'd started building, so had half a dozen others. Aside from that imposing first sample house, things were going slowly across the boulevard from the store property. Oh, we know it was tough to get enough material for 500 homes, and Brian kept running down to the city in quest of building material. Oh, Joel was as busy as a bee. Naturally, he didn't have a great deal of time for Louise, but he certainly never looked at another girl in town. No, sir. Louise was for him, all right. Ah, gee, it's good to see you smiling, Joel. I'm glad the project's really going over. Even if it has meant that I haven't seen so much of you lately. Well, it's it's just about wound up now. And when the last deal's made, I kiss little old Boston goodbye. Oh. <laughs> Baby, don't look like that. When I leave here, I want you with me. As my wife. I'm going to take the money I made here, and I'm going to hit the street again. And I'll hold on to it this time. And you'll have everything you ever wanted. A big house. Servants. A limousine a block and a half long. A home on the Riviera. First nights at the theater. Yes, Louise. No, Joel. Now, those are the things you want. Everyone wants those things. That's what we all work for. What else is there? The things your New York friends would probably call corny. The respect and friendship of your neighbors. People like Jimmy. The peace and self-understanding that can come only through simple prayer. A love for each other that doesn't depend on cars or mansions. Louise. Louise, you you don't understand. You know, I thought at first you were finding your way to these things. But you aren't working for the veterans, Joel. You're working for money. You want to get back to Wall Street. You want revenge. I knew there was something wrong. They stopped seeing each other. Joel went ahead with his recreational center deal as though it were the only thing in the world that mattered. I found out later that he was planning on spending Christmas in New York. It was a day before Christmas when he finally closed the sale. Here it is, Mr. Bryant. Cash on the line for the last piece of property. And I've got all the rest of the money here. We split two ways, like I said. Cash on the line. That's Bryant's. Thanks, Mr. Bryant. You won't be needing me here anymore, so I'm leaving for New York tonight. I wish you luck with the project. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'll be on the same train. Oh, swell. Going to spend the holidays in a big town? Oh, I'll spend more than that, I guess. Easy come, easy go. If I never see this burg again, it'll be okay with me. Oh, but the houses. You can't mean that. I'm not putting up any houses in this one-horse town. I got my profit. Let Jimmy and his pals build the homes if they want them. Why, Bryant, that's fraud. 
You can't get oh, away. Oh, take it easy, Hammond. We're within our legal rights. I sold property that belonged to me. I just happened to change my mind about the veterans' homes. I found out that material was too tough to get or something. You can't do that to the people here, to the veterans. Oh, now, don't pull any hero stuff on me. You pulled plenty of shenanigans when you were on Wall Street. Oh, yeah. I knew who you were when I saw you working in that beanery. And I wasn't kidding you any either. You knew what we were doing. I didn't know. But everyone here will think I did. Ah, but you won't be here. Oh, yes, I will. I decided to stay in Boston. I'm going to face this thing out. And you're staying here too, Brian. Now, listen, Hammond, you got a safe out. Look, no one's going to blame you for all this. Jimmy's the president of the Boston Helps Her Veterans Committee. He thought up that swell-sounding title. He was the one who vouched for the outfit. He was the one who got the town council to put the official stamp on it. Let him take the rap. Why, <laughs> you dirty chiseler. <laughs> you, you can't get away with this, you, you cheap hero. Hand over that cash, Bryant. Thanks. Well, that money is going into the bank tonight. It's going to be used to build these homes. You'll get your share of the rents whether you stick around or go. Frankly, I don't care what you do. Merry Christmas, Mr. Bryant. <laughs> Evening, Jimmy. Hi, Joe. Hi. What happened? I had a fight with my conscience. Do I look all right, Jimmy? You look better than I've ever seen you look before, Joe. I, uh, I went to Louise's before I came here. She isn't home. You wouldn't know where I could find her, would you? Christmas Eve? She's probably in church. Thanks, Jimmy. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Hey, look, if you aren't doing anything tomorrow... See you I'll... later, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm here to stay. I, I found out that, oh, that all those things I thought I wanted again. Just, just hold my hand, darling. Services. And Christmas over. has, for too long, represented material things to many. Our lives are enriched not by presents nor possessions, but by a full understanding of our own souls and of the real values of this world. If you have this understanding you'll have no difficulty finding the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Merry Christmas and God bless you. This is George Murphy again, and I know I'm speaking for all of you when I express my thanks to Lee Bowman and Frank McHugh for telling us the story of A Bunch of Keys, a story which seems to prove that the key to happiness is not always made of metal. You know, every one of you listening in has a story of your own, one that's still being written, the story of your life. And the wonderful stories, those you can be proud of, are probably not at all unusual. They're about a boy and a girl who got married stayed married, and raised a happy family. Now, if that's your story, you're pretty lucky, and you know it. Because keeping a family together and happy isn't always easy. Raising kids the right way isn't always easy. But then, anyone in his right mind knows that nothing worth having comes easy. Keeping a family together and happy is an uphill fight. Problems all the way, granted. But remember, you don't have to climb that hill by yourself. Have you ever thought of asking for help? Ask God's help. Ask and ye shall receive, 
You know that. No family is so self-sufficient that it can ignore God. There's no problem so big that it can't be solved with God's help. So pray. Pray together with your family. Thank God for what you have and ask Him for what you need. Do that and you take the biggest step you've ever taken towards one of the most wonderful things in life, a happy family. Before saying goodnight, I want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Mel Williamson for directing our play tonight and to our producer, Bob Longnecker. Next week, our stars on the Family Theater will be Mr. Charles Boyer and Miss Ethel Barrymore and the Mitchell Boys Choir in a special Easter week show. Now, this is George Murphy saying goodnight. This series of the Family Theater broadcast is made possible by the thousands of you who felt a need for this kind of program, by the mutual network which has responded to this need, and by the actors and technicians in the motion picture and radio industries who have volunteered their services to fulfill it. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. That is a hate to everybody. Uh, it's that time again. So um, put your shoes back on and get your coat and get your hat. And um, We'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday for an even better art. We should also get people to send you uh, emails. Oh, yeah, I thought I had done that. Uh, um and if you want to send me comments, um, or, you know, just tell me you like the show, or if you want to request something, um, you can write to me at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. That's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, at gmail.com. Have a good week, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.